Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your host, Sarah. And this is a conversation on Star Wars The High Republic, The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. We are finally back, Sarah, and we're talking about a High Republic release, brand new, hot off the press, in the bookshelves, in our hands, with a box of tissues, because we're crying. We're crying on this episode. That's right. As are many other Star Wars fans. That's right, and it's it's good thing I have multiple copies of this book, because <laughs> if I throw one, it'll all be okay. Yeah, that's why we ordered the out-of-print version. Which I still haven't received. I'm waiting for it. Mine shipped today. I'm excited. Mine didn't. What the heck? Well, I'm just going to get it faster than you, I guess. I can wear my beanie before you. That's... Take that back. Enjoy your cold scalp. Take that back. How dare you? Anyways, folks, we're back. We're talking High Republic. This is the end of phase one. If you haven't listened to our preview episode yet with the wonderful Danny, go listen to that right now. It's on our podcast feed. It was a great, great time. And now we're here to finally discuss the first book of Wave 3, Phase 1. Whoa, what? Wave? Oh, you, wow, you really put that backwards. I know. Phase 1, Wave 3. I'm switching it up a little bit just, just to make that the episode a little spicier. Co- yeah. That was very confusing for I my know. brain. I know. <laughs> trying to, trying to, trying to uh, work harder, not smarter here at Friends of the mm. Force. Okay. Yeah. We will be talking... Fallen Star spoilers later in the show. So you can stick around still if you want to hear more of our conversation on some recent High Republic news because we got some big news, Sarah. Some big news. Yeah, we did. For all you High Republic fans, we are getting fed. The rats are being fed on on schedule. schedule, And we're getting all the nutrients because phase two is dropping this October. Sarah, what are your first thoughts? We got to wait eight more months. Seven to eight months until we get more higher public stories. How are you feeling? Thank God. This is a lot of work. I'm joking, but I'm also not. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely grateful for the break because I think I need a little bit of time to process, to decompress, to maybe turn my energy to something else before I dive into a new timeline in the High Republic. Yeah. So <laughs> probably already know this because you probably also watched the live stream along with us, but we're going back to the past, 150 years in the past. And when I tell you that my brain just about melted when I heard this news, I was at work at the bookstore and I like could not perform my work duties because I was like sitting on the floor almost crying at this news. Yeah, this was incredible, but like, I'm really excited about it because I think it's, it's going to give us a rest from some of the heartbreak we endured with this sort of story. And also this new era, what is it? Quest of the Jedi's second phase calling, um, what it's called. It's gonna be an era of exploration and invention. And I'm excited about it. Yeah. So like. Like, take me through your process watching the live stream, because I know we were, like, texting a little bit, but I don't know if I knew where you were, what you were doing, like, and also for HR purposes, you were also just at your work. I was at my lunch break, tasks. so I'm good. I'm good. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So we're you're, covered. You're, you're in the clear. We're you covered. were not on the clock. Yeah, okay, great. Un- unpaid great. lunchtime. So, yeah, as soon as the live stream went up uh, with Christina Ariel, wonderful host, I skipped right to the end like a bad person. Because why don't they why don't they premiere the episodes live? 
you're so right you are genuinely so they need to do that that way nobody can skip it like premiere it so it streams live and people have to actually watch it live anyways that's just a thought if anybody's listening from delray uh if you have any power over the star wars youtube channel um send them an email let them know but I skipped right to the end and I was like, I saw all the new authors and everything. And I was like, I wasn't really watching the thing in full. And then I watched it in full later. At first I heard 150 years and I was like, wait, so like 150 years, this is 200 years phase one. So we're like going 50 years in the future. And Daniel Jose Older confirmed, no, this is 150 years from phase one. But wow. Wow. I mean, what is a more Star Warsian thing to do than to start with the middle chapter and then go back to the first chapter and then end with the final chapter? We're doing the typical four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine. Did you predict this? Because I didn't at all. And when I heard it, I was like, well, yeah, that makes obvious logical sense. It's like poetry. It rhymes, baby. But then I was also like, I am so dumb. Yeah. For not assuming this is what would happen. I don't know why we never thought that was a possibility. I don't know. But it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. It does. It does. And it feels like exactly the right thing to do, especially, again, especially after all this heartbreak we just endured. Like, give us some time to breathe with some new characters to love that will also break our hearts eventually. And then we'll go back to these characters or some other characters, you know, like... It, it it makes a lot of logical sense in a lot of different ways. And like, while I'm sad to be leaving them, I'm also like so excited because it's a whole new world we get to open up yeah. again. Why why do you think we need to go back to the past? I, I have some thoughts. Them being, I think the past will, for the reader, give us the knowledge that we know our heroes are going to need for phase three to to win, to be victorious over the Nile. And so for us readers, we're going to know like they need to get that knowledge that we just read about. And so over the course of phase three, once we come back to present day after the events of the fallen star, which we haven't, we're not spoiling yet. Don't worry. We're going to be waiting kind of, you know, dramatic irony in a sense. We know where they need to get to. And so we're kind of watching them get to that point of like, oh, they, they know how to defeat the leveler or like they know how to defeat Marshad Rowe or, um, you know, we know, we know that like Charles soul is writing a story about Porter Engel. So like clearly Porter Engel is going to be probably a very important character in phase three maybe he's the key to all of this perhaps you know more nine eggs stew please yeah maybe he just makes nine eggs stew for everybody in the high republic and then like, and it solves world peace you know yeah like the nile come together they have a great grand dinner and and like no space or whatever it's called and in the great hall mm. and they just live happily ever after probably not gonna happen but it's fine sounds great hope. yeah yeah but why why do you think we need to go back backwards to go forwards I mean, I think you're right on kind of illuminating the path forward for the characters that we've been following thus far. But I also think that this will actually start to fulfill the promise of, oh, this is the golden age of the Jedi. It's like Camelot, you know, Um, because when I opened Light of the Jedi and I immediately like saw the great hyperspace disaster and i was like okay we're at the top of the lift hill right now and this entire story is going to be that first drop and it's just going to plummet us straight into hell like (laughs) it's just going to go down forever and so i've kind of been wondering where this actual golden age is um you know we get pieces of that idea in lena so's um 
in her projects and in what she's thinking about what she her in her vision of the republic essentially but that's all kind of flawed and everything goes to shit really quickly for her so it has me wondering you know what this build up to this point looks like and how do we kind of get to this place where we can have this sort of open republic um expansion and inclusion sort of initiative going on so i'm curious to see more of these jedi initiatives i'm excited to see like expansion in the galaxy in this way um and like there's a lot we can talk about here and i think we should talk about some of the potential storylines that we've gotten hints of yeah in the higher public thus far no yes yes yeah yeah i mean when you said exploration and invention you have to think there's not really the nile threat as we see it today so my first thought was like what is going to be the threat and i think most of what we'll see are sort of the socio-political mm. uh issues plaguing the high republic as they try to go up on that incline you know towards the top of the hill before the fall I think that's what we'll be mainly focused on. So some of the possible storylines that could fit into that potentially. And this is what we know that has been hinted at throughout phase one. So Marie and Santeca's kidnapping. So we know she's around 130 years old, according to eye of the storm. Okay. Which was just confirmed that she's over a century old. So, uh, we know that we might see that, which included in that is, you know, the conflict with the Santeca's and the graphs. So we'll see a lot of hyperspace, prospecting which will be really exciting maybe some more naboo because they're you know yes. they're kind of there uh maybe some of the spark burns too because i think they're they're part of the Sintaka clan i'm really energized by that i will say like the yeah. idea that we'll get more of the conflict between the Santecas and the graphs is something that i'm personally looking really forward to and that i hope gets expanded because there seems to be a depth there like yeah. a really interesting butting of heads that we've kind of gotten bits and pieces of, but I like really want us to see that in full. Yeah, absolutely. We also know from the rising storm that it was 150 years ago. The Republic first ventured into Tegruda space. I want it. So I need it. Absolutely. We're going to see that. I can almost guarantee you hundred percent certainty that we're going to see that storyline somehow. And it'll be interesting to see how the Tegrudas who are very, very protective of their, of their planets and their systems, how they feel about a Republic that is trying to expand into their territory. So it'll be interesting to see because we know mm -hmm. over time they try to mend those relationships and they sort of do in the rising storm towards the end. But it means that they had to be broken in the first place. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. The lovelers origins. Uh, this is probably the biggest expectation that I have. I think in order for us to defeat the leveler, we have to understand where it comes from. So I think we're going to get a lot there and see maybe how it gets trapped in the uh, ice below the uh, in the ice caves of uh, Ristan. The Blade of Bardota, how he got his name. So we already know Porter Angle is going to have a story. I think it'll probably be a comic from Charles. I'll be very curious to know if they go the same sort of route that they've been going with these this huge ensemble cast and yeah. everybody kind of weaving through the stories or if it's going to be more character focused throughout. Like I'll be really curious oh. to see the formatting of phase two especially and i mean i'm jumping ahead a little bit here but if i jump ahead we can go back the fact that we have four new authors joining the high republic george yeah. mann has more or less already joined the high republic he has written the um little children's book um battle for starlight um and also some of the stories in life day treasury um with 
Kevin Scott when when a couple of those take place in the High Republic. But he's joining Lydia Kang and Tessa Grattan and the Queen herself, Sarita Cordova. So uh, we are really excited about that. But also that might mean not only more stories being written, period, but it might mean a format change. Yeah. Because the, you know, the, the, the dinner table is much longer now and it needs more seats. So that might give us the opportunity to yeah. tell all of these sto- sorts of stories. You know, you make a really good point. I hadn't thought about like, what if we're getting more than three books per like wave, you know, like right now we're getting three per wave, you know, the, the adult book, the middle grade and the YA. Like what if we get yeah two adult books and like a YA and then like two middle grades. So who's to say wh- how many books we're going to get per wave? Or if there will be more than three waves per phase, we don't know how long phase two is going to be. If it is kind of the same amount of time as phase one, we could be waiting until 2023 to 2024 until we get phase three. So it's a long time. We're going to be so old by then. Yeah, I'm going to be in the nursing home. So uh, I know podcasting from there. But yeah, RIP. back to uh, Blade of Bardota. The only hint at that we have for his origins is uh, from Rising Storm. Also uh, a lot in there. Kevin likes to plant the seeds. He uh, he's so good at it. He's so damn <laughs> it good at it. So upset. I know. <laughs> Cuz we're like, you know, pointing at Dooku Jedi Lost and we're like, "What?" You know, Le- yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio looking at the TV. Like, we're doing that all the time when it comes to his books and it's incredible. It's so fun to watch happen. Yeah. But we know about a quote distant terror and also a quote lightsaber slipping from broken fingers. So, <sighs> It seems like he experiences some sort of tragedy. This was when Indira was sensing his past through the force mm. when they were trying to defeat the Nile at, at Valo. So I'll be curious to see what sort of tragedy that he endured. Um, otherwise, though, we can look forward to probably a story of the Drangir versus the Sith, which was included in Into the Dark, as well as some of the High Republic adventures slash High Republic comics. So I'll assume that we would see how they get trapped in those binding statues by the Sith and uh, aboard the Amaxine station. So I would love to see sort of the origins there, uh, as well as the uh, Jedi versus Dalnan conflict, which is talked about in Mission 2 Disaster. Stay tuned for our, our review on that coming uh, in March, just about March. So a couple more months, but it is available on ebook and audiobook right now. If yeah, you want to listen so to it. it's, it's, it's out, there. but it's not. We're not going to spoil it here. That's just a brief mention to something else that happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't I don't feel right covering it until it has a physical release because not everybody 100%. not everybody does ebook or audiobook, but it is out there. So if you want to read it, uh, you should because it's it's awesome. But I'm assuming if we do get Jedi versus the Dolans and seeing like where those two civilizations sort of clashed, I'm assuming Justina is going to write that story in like a YA form because we found out that her mm. and Tessa Grattan are co-writing the first YA novel. So. That would be pretty cool if we got like a Dalnan focused book and like how they clash with the Jedi and like what happened. Cause I would love to know more about that in like the present day relatively. So I can't speak to all co-authored books. I can't, you know, make a true generalization. However, I also can, I can make a generalization and I will often co-authored books are told from the first person POV of two separate characters. Ooh, it might happen. It might not. It doesn't always happen, but I've just read a couple recently where that's been the case. I'm just, I'm just saying that it's possible we ha- we're getting like a character POV first person sort of adventure. Mm. Maybe, but also maybe not. Don't take my word on it. I don't have any insider information. 
<laughs> so like maybe if it is the Jedi Dalnan, it's like POV on each side and Yeah, the Lost Stars of it Lost all, stars, you know? Yeah. Okay. I'd be a fan of that. Let's do it. Let's do it. And the people do love Lost Stars, I will say. Where is our sequel? I know Claudia's writing High Republic and we'd love her for it. But also a sequel, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Um, but we we also know a couple of other things. Claudia's project, we have no idea what it is. She's like, so I'm doing something cool, but I can't tell you about it. And I'm like, of course you can't. Yeah, like, of typical. course you can't. <laughs> um, but yeah. we know that Kevin will be writing Marvel comics. Um, Charles will be writing the Porter Angle story, and Daniel will be writing an all ages graphic novel. Like in, in uh yeah, in the style of the adventures. Uh, series to which i was like oh heck yes yeah oh heck yes so yes my question will it be something like monster of temple peak that was originally supposed to be in a bound up version that got split up and it will be individual issues of a graphic novel or will it be something that is like bound together sold in stores as a 300 page graphic novel story um i'll be really curious to know but i'm really excited for it I would assume along the lines of uh, Monster of Temple Peak, probably. I'm personally hoping that it's, you know, something that's bound up together and can be put in like a graphic novel section um, and not in the sense of like once all the issues have released. Um, just because the graphic novel format is really accessible for kids, just as a bookseller, like kids love graphic novels and they're not necessarily as attuned it, I mean, my store doesn't sell comics. We do sell trade paperbacks, though, of comics. But my store isn't... I don't see kids as tuned to individual comic issues as they come out over time than as they are to, oh, I want to read all of the, um, you know, Raina Telegmeyer's Smile Guts, you know, her whole series of graphic novels. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But we'll see. We'll see. We're excited about it. But yeah, those new authors, though. Uh, you mentioned them up top again, Zoraida Cordova, Tessa Gratton, George Mann, Lydia Kang. So all of these authors have, or are going to be working in star Wars. Uh, Zoraida has already written star Wars stories of plenty, uh, crash of fate, certain point of view, uh, stories, uh, from the clone wars anthology, George Mann, like we've already said, uh, dark legends, uh, myths and fables, etc. Lydia Kang wrote a story, Right Hand Man and Empire Strikes Back um, from a certain point of view. And Tessa Gratton has a story, I believe it's about Palpatine, that's going to be included in the upcoming book, uh, Stories of Jedi and Sith, which is coming out in the summer and we'll be covering here on the podcast as well. So yeah, lots of good stuff. I will say just I'm very excited to see uh, this. It's a welcome change for the higher public. Not that I think we needed we needed it, but like, we also kind of needed it because I think it's good to expand the scope and the perspectives that these authors bring to the story. Like, obviously, we have the core MVP group. They're always going to be like the goats, like no question. It's cool to see the dinner table getting bigger and for more people to have a seat at it. And I would be curious to see like how that collaborative process also now expands. Like, is the group chat getting mm. bigger now? Like, are they like, you know, let's say there was no pandemic. Would they have another retreat at Skywalker Ranch where like now you bring in another four people and you throw on the whiteboard and start tossing out ideas? You know, I want to know what that looks like now with four other people who are coming in, uh, not late into the game, but like in the middle of it and yeah. how how many of their ideas are now welcomed. Right. Because they didn't get to really participate in that first brainstorming session. Right. So uh, how much are they involved with evolving the story? And maybe they're allowed more 
creative freedom because they're going back in time now versus like sitting within the established current day canon relatively. Yeah, I'd be so curious to understand what the creative process looks like in general, because it kind of seems like everybody's kind of writing their novels independently, but they check in with each other and they ask about characters and that sort of thing. Um, Like we know that there's a Slack channel that exists, you know, that that is like higher public Slack. Um, But I'm so I'm just want to I just want to be a fly on the wall in their development conversations about what they're writing, who they're collaborating with, what kinds of characters they're using and how they have to work with others, because it's such a unique project um, to me where not only do they have to work within the bounds of the canon they're creating, but they have to actively work with each other because they're all writing at the same time. You know, it's it's one thing if you are for instance, Adam Christopher, who's writing this book that takes place between six and seven. And you have to understand the canon bounds of everything that's come before and where your story fits within six and seven. Like you have a lot of source material to go off of, but that's all established and in books, you know, like, and in these films, but these folks, they're really having to work with each other actively in order to mold the story. uh, And along for their pieces to align as best as possible so i imagine that you know presents its own challenges as well as its own rewards and again what i would give to be a fly on the wall and i'm hoping hoping and praying fingers crossed um that come celebration time it is safe for everybody to attend um both you know guests to the convention and um fans to the convention to where we can go to a panel where they're all sitting there and we get some not only oh details of their creative process, but like also some big reveals and the energy in that room. Even if we all have to be max- masked and vaxxed, like I'm just, I'm really hoping for it. I'm really hoping for it. You and I have talked off air about that panel potential. We're, we're lining <sighs> yeah. up. Like if, if they say like, oh, this panel is going to be 1 like 1 like p.m. On, 1 p.m. at Friday. Yeah. Like we're going to grab our Starbucks in the morning, grab our books to go sit in line, sit on the ground and literally wait there the entire day because I <laughs> we want have to one be in priority. <laughs> they could be like, oh, yeah, yeah. The Kenobi panels at 10 and <gasps> Andor's at 11 and like Rogue Squadrons at 12. And then like the higher public's at like one. I'd be like, fuck it. I'll miss all those panels just to line up. <laughs> You know, it reminds me of like the Sky Talkers when their podcast panel was the first panel right after the um, Tross thing, but then Tross went long. And so it was like them and like eight other people who are watching the Tross panel on their phones in that room. Yeah. And I remember I was in the next room over and I like ran around like once it was done. Um, but yeah, the energy, the energy. Yeah. So if any of you higher public book folks want to sit in line with us and we can just yes. watch the other panels on our phones, like oh, yeah. that's an open invitation. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll do a live recording in line and we'll just, we'll just chat with uh, all the peeps who come by. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. like, what are you doing? We're like, we're just podcasting in line. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's going to be uh, a lot to look forward to. I-, I hope celebration still happens. I know there's a lot of like questions about that, but you and I both got, tickets to star wars night hey hey yeah so We're i we, we paid our exorbitant amount of money non-refundable money already, too non-refundable <laughs> money to the people who already have a crap ton of money you know why we did it you know why we did it FOMO. We're shill. We're the fear oh, of FOMO. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> At least for me, it was the fear of FOMO. If I was the only one in our group that didn't have a ticket, I was going to be really upset. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 
yeah, we paid the exorbitant amount of money in the non-refundable ticket in the pandemic because we are fools and yep. we're really excited about it. Yeah, so yeah, hopefully absolutely. it happens. And if it doesn't, then womp womp, there goes womp, my womp. money. There goes yeah. my money. Yeah. Well, uh, first blue milk of the night is on me. So we'll definitely uh, cheers to High Republic at that point. The listeners, the listeners are going to hear that. Yeah. So are you, are you down? Are you game for that? You know, those are like $8 a glass. Uh, we're good i'm saving up i'm trying to save up but okay we're but really imagine good. imagine if we get the high republic panel that day like i'm gonna have so many blue milks so many that night to celebrate i'm gonna be like blue milked out i'm gonna be a member of the blue man group because i'm gonna be so blue <laughs> honestly i would respect that because the blue milks are yeah exceptionally delicious you're gonna see me in the corner like dancing with dj rex like just shouting at him to play like Freebird and Wonderwall. <laughs> play wonder, wonder wall. wall there you go Do it. yeah but anyways excellent all right so anyways that was the big news so that live stream happened on the 4th of january you can go back and watch it we'll include it in the description if you want to hear some of the thoughts from the authors uh, especially about wave three as well they had some things to say about all these new books coming out so that's it for news and now it wouldn't be a high republic or star wars book review if we didn't talk about our indie bookstore of the week, Sarah. So take it away. Yay. Um, it's my favorite time of all our book episodes. Just kidding. I love all the parts of our book episodes. But I do have to make a correction from our preview um, episode. And that is that I said that Octavia Books was Colladia's home store. I was like, and somebody else's, another author. But I couldn't think of who off the top of my head. And it's Daniel Jose Older. Guys, I should have known this. I remember him saying it. I'm really sorry that I missed that. Um, but to make up for it on today's episode, I am excited to bring you another New Orleans, Louisiana bookstore. And that is Tubby and Koo's Mid-City Bookshop. You guys, I don't think you understand. I'm obsessed with this bookstore. They are a teeny tiny storefront owned by one person who like might be one of a couple of booksellers at this place. And they're amazing. They're amazing. So they are available at tubbyandcoos.com. Yes, that is T-U-B-B-Y-A-N-D-C-O-O-S.com. And this is also another local bookstore to both Claudia and Daniel. So you have to love it. You have to love it. Okay. Tubby and Coos is a local, queer-owned, progressive, nerdy, independent bookshop in mid-city New Orleans focused on science fiction and fantasy, queer, and diverse books. And the shop is named after the grandparents of the owner, Tubby and Coo, who grew up in the neighborhood where it, it lives. So, Love it. Um, I, I know. I was so happy to hear this. Um, the store is owned by Candace Huber, who uses they-them pronouns, and they are the sixth-generation person in New Orleans. Um, and I could read their entire bio. But you should just go ahead and do it yourself because they're incredible. Also, they have an incredible and deeply informative um, social media presence. I highly recommend following them on either Twitter or Instagram because not only do they make great reels, they have also had incredible threads about the supply chain and everything that's going on with the pandemic uh, and how that affects publishing. And so uh, they're really informative, a great resource. And just a very cool little store. I hope to go to New Orleans and visit them because like, oh my gosh, it is my dream to be like Candace. Um, okay, I have to say one more thing about Candace and that like myself, they have an obsession with Rebecca Roanhorse. So mm. fellow Black Sun stands, you have a friend 
at Tubby and Coos. Okay. About their books. Um, they offer mystery boxes, which is something I found out as I went along their website. And uh, Claudia Gray has a mystery box that she curated about books about fame. And Daniel Jose Older has a box that you can get that includes middle grade and YA fantasies. So if either of those are interesting to you, they're there. And I yeah. might take... I might take them up on it because I am really interested in what Daniel Jose Older's fantasies uh, for middle and YA, um, middle grade and YA, um, what his favorites are. So, yeah, you can buy books online from them. You can buy books in store. And they are very, very cool. I highly recommend checking them out. And that's my independent bookstore of the day. I'm so excited that I got to talk about Tubby and Coos. Thank you. Woohoo! Yes, please shop locally if you can for your books because... Corporations do not need your money. Local bookshop owners do because they're putting food on the table for their families and trying to make a living because they love books like us. So support the the people that do that because it's a it's a tough job, especially right now with all the publishing supply chain stuff going on. Uh, I'm not an expert in that. I know it's really tough. So you know, it's try complicated. To, it's very weird. Yeah, yeah. So try to try to throw them to your support if you can. And we've seen this actually with this wave in the High Republic, the fact that both, um, well, mostly Mission to Disaster has been pushed back, but I think uh, Midnight Horizon was also pushed back by a week or two. So it affects everybody, unfortunately. Uh, And hopefully things will get back to normal soon. But until then, the more you can pre-order with indies uh, and the more you can shop, um, you know, with indies as your money permits, it helps the authors, it helps the publishers, it helps the bookstores all understand demand and put food on the table. So it's good all around if you have the ability to support your local indie. Yes, absolutely. Well, with that being said, Sarah, it is time to turn our eyes to the sky and, huh, what is that? It's a starlight beacon. Oh, wait, it's on fire. Oh, no, the whole thing's on fire. This is fine. This is fine. Can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. This is in pain. See what happens. This is fun. Yeah. This is fun. It's fun. Had a great time. We are on the train. We bought our tickets. Now we to can't the, get off. We are, n- we are not allowed off this train. Yeah, no. The pain train. Um, it's the like pain train. Chugga chugga choo choo all the way to Sat Town, USA. Sat Town. Yeah, which is um via Amtrak, thirty six hours of distance. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, the Starlight Beacon, uh, it's burning. Oh no! Somebody call the fire the firemen um because yeah. yikes yikes we need some hoses right now asap yeah we gotta, some, we gotta, some water we need some water in yep. space okay but before we get into spoilers there is probably little that can be said about this book without spoiling it in our opinion usually we try or strive to do a non-spoiler review section i think here we're just going to kind of transition into our spoiler section with like a very brief short non-spoiler review of the book and then we're going to give you the warning and then we're going to talk all about what happened in the book our feelings and we'll dive into some of the character moments that really mean a lot to us uh so as well as our odds and ends which are the kind of the fun quirky things that we find in the book that we just absolutely love so there's a lot to come but let's start with our overall thoughts non-spoiler really quick sarah give me like a sentence or two about how you felt about this book Uh, My non-spoiler thoughts are, while Claudia Gray is still the queen and is still the goat, this was regrettably not my favorite of the High Republic novels. And I had some pretty intense emotions while reading this book that 
have kind of caused a lot of confusion in how I feel about it. So, I mean, I would recommend it to people who have enjoyed the the past stories from the High Republic. I don't think everybody feels the same way I do, but it's definitely different than the other titles. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a bit of a mixed bag compared to all the previous titles, which seem to have been like unanimously praised. So this one, I think there's a lot of different conversations happening, all valuable, all totally valid as well. Um, I am somebody who struggled a little bit with the scope of this book. I think it's a little bit too narrow in scope compared to like Light of the Jedi and Rising Storm. However, I still think there's like really, really good character growth that makes it worth the read for me, Um, specifically some character growth with uh, characters that we've had a lot of time with before. And are continuing to see be a, a prominent player within the High Republic. So I don't want to give away who, because I don't want to like hint at their fates. But I think there are some glimpses of hope in this book. It's not a completely hopeless book. It's a tragic book, but it's not without hope. So you just kind of have to find the hope within it and not let the emotions of it all overwhelm you. Or else you'll kind of feel that, that kind of slow creeping dread of the book kind of overwhelming you. Um, you need to really kind of take a step back every chapter. I, I really kind of picked this book up and put it down a lot um, and got through it at my own pace. And I think I would advise the same of everybody else, but definitely worth the read. So that was definitely not a sentence or two. I cheated. No. Yeah. Um, I lied. The other thing I will say, um, non-spoiler, is if you have not read the book thus far and we're looking for our thoughts and things, this book reads more like a disaster movie like a really intensely focused disaster movie where they're like in space or in a tight knit um, enclosed space and they're trying to get out and you know, it's not going to go well for them because of whatever circumstances. So that's what it feels like. And if you go in knowing that you might have a better experience than I did. Um, But yeah, where the other books have felt like big scope action adventure, political thriller kind of vibes. Uh, This one is much more like, if you're playing the game dead space or if you're playing the, the the or watching like gravity something of that sort yeah it's claustrophobic in a way yeah 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 so that, those are our spoiler free thoughts uh, again i would definitely recommend i think we both definitely recommend picking up the book for yourself and like forming your own opinion because i don't think you should let uh, any one person sway that online because again everybody is reacting like very differently you know some people say this is the best book claudia has written some people say it's not form your own opinions, read it, enjoy the ride for what it is, because there are some really great moments that we're going to talk about. So with that being said, spoilers ahead. If you haven't read The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray, this is your last chance to turn back now because we are going into the thick of it. Ugh. It's been a while since we made a Backyardians reference. Just got to say. I know that. it's it, yeah. it's like that that phase came and, and left, but we're keeping it alive here on Friends of the Force. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's Why good. Not? It's good stuff. Yeah. So again, Spoiler warning in three, two, one. Everybody died, actually. Did you know that the Starlight Beacon was on fire? I couldn't tell by the several explosions, the uh, people getting sucked out in the space, uh, the, the level aboard, the flames, yeah. the wrath tars, all of the above. Yeah. It's not a fun time for heroes. No, not at all. It was the Titanic, and we knew from the moment we opened this book that it was going to sink. Yeah. Uh, so, what was your feeling, I guess, when you received the book in the mail from Del Rey, 
And like, were you eager to open it immediately? What was the vibe? What was the vibe? Uh, a big sense of panic set in immediately because I knew I knew this was a tragic book. I knew we were we were bracing for the worst of the worst. My prediction is that it doesn't get worse than this. I think this is the worst it will be. I think in terms of the the scale of death and the blow to the republic, I don't think you can I don't think it can go any lower in terms of the starlight beacon, right? Like the greatest of the great works collapsing and being destroyed. I don't really think it gets worse than that. You know, Snape kills Dumbledore in book six, right? Yeah. Like, you know, phase three is called trials of the Jedi, right? Correct. <laughs> Correct. They're going to rebound. They're going to rebound hard again. I'm, I'm an optimist. I just want to, I just want to like throw it out here. Like, don't get your hopes up too high. Cause it could be like, it could, it could, be worse. it could. Again, my prediction is it won't. There's still going to be a lot of hardship along the way, but I don't think in terms of the scale of what happened to our heroes, they're going to be dealt as big of a blow as they did in the Fallen Star. So mm. with that being said, my experience reading this book, several times I had to put the book down and go, Claudia, why? Why, Claudia? Why did you do this? And that was fun. But otherwise, I... I, I kind of I, I kind of hinted at it. There were some really great moments. I was brought to tears by the end of the book, you know, with the relationship with Stellan and Elzar and Avar, the trio, and how integral they become to the story. And also um, Stellan's sacrifice at the end, I feel like has a lot of meaning for his character. I predicted it in our preview episode. I was originally you? I was originally on the Avar is going to be the fallen star train. And then at the preview episode, I was like, wait, you know what? Actually, I think it's going to be Stellan. I think it's going to be, cause he's the poster boy. He's sort of one and the same with Lena. So they are sort of, uh, uh, they are sort of one image in the public eye. Their, their fates are intertwined, you know, him holding her, her body on Valo yeah. after she was attacked. Yeah. So I, I figured he would be the one and I was correct. And maybe that lightened the blow of it a little bit, but I still was crying at the end of the book. There is a lot of death in this book. Some I may or may not agree with, but also it's like not up to me to say like who dies and who doesn't because everybody is on the table. Everybody can die. And I think I've had to accept that. And, you know, even though I might have liked a certain character and maybe wish we could have more time with them, this is the Star War and things happen. Mm -hmm. So this is expected. I mean, it's kind of like when you watch a movie and you're like, how did nobody make it? How did everybody make it out of that? That doesn't seem real, right? So there is a sense of, realism to this where it's like yeah some of our big heroes would die and I, I was talking to you earlier like no matter who died in this book we would have been we would be saying the same thing right oh we didn't get enough time with them oh we didn't they shouldn't have died you know it's like well okay if they shouldn't have died who else should have died and then you start to run through no the list one. in your head and you're just like, this well, once everybody lives the doctor yeah, that's it yeah yeah and you, you start to run through your head and you're like well there's nobody else I would rather die. So when I when I think of it in that way, I'm like, you know what? It is what it is. And we'll have to see how our heroes uh, recover from this. But yeah, that, that was my experience reading it. How about you? How did you feel when you got the book and, and picking it up? I know you struggled initially because you knew it was filled with uh, tragedy. Yeah. So if you listened to the preview episode, you know that I was really scared. I think that was like the overarching feeling I felt the entire time we talked about the, the in the preview episode. Um, so grateful for 
to Del Rey um, for graciously sending us a copy of the book pre-release. Uh, you know, it's 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 a privilege and uh, very grateful, very grateful. Um, but I will say, once I got it, I was avoiding the heck out of it because I was scared. Yeah. I was so scared of what the it, what was going to happen in its pages and. I had it on my nightstand for a couple days. I refused to open it. I was like, you know what? I've got this other, I was like, I was going to finish the first Outlander book before I started it, which was the right thing to do because I needed to finish that book. But like I was in full avoidance mode for a little while. And then once I picked it up, I found it to be like an easy, accessible read. It's, it's, it flows nicely. It keeps like the pace is kind of um, breakneck for the entire thing. It just keeps going. Uh, but every time I put it down, I had trouble picking it back up because I was again, genuinely fearful. I knew what was going to be a tragedy. I knew what I signed up for in that regard, but I had a really like visceral emotional reaction to this book that I was not expecting. And that led me almost to not finish the book. And um, it had to do kind of right around the time for those of you who have read it, like with the the fake out and knowing exactly what was going to happen and that Stellan was going to go down with the ship. And I just was like really upset to the point where I said, F this. I don't want to finish it. I'm done. I'm like, what for? Why are we doing this? What for? And I was surprised that I had such a strong emotional reaction to it, which I guess is the point. Like, it's a tragedy. It's supposed to be emotional. Everybody, as you said, Brad, like, is on the table. But I guess I was just extra sensitive to it. And it it really hit me in a way I didn't expect. And it hit me um, with that sort of negative emotion. And I've had a hard time pushing through that, to be really honest with you. Uh, and it's it's been it's been weird to not um unequivocally love you know a book claudia has written um so that's surprising for me and just that uh the the way that i felt um was surprising for me and i don't know i was just really puzzled by my own reaction to it but it's not that you think it's a it's a bad book right it's just that it's no that can really do a lot to you emotionally is kind of the thing you're getting at and kind of really yeah it's dig deep personally it's very weird because i'm like okay i'm gonna give it a positive to quite positive like star rating on goodreads once i figure out what i want to star rate it um and then like i know that because like this book was emotional for me i laughed i cried i had a sigh of relief you know i i really did like feel like when claudia hit the emotions they really really worked um as they do with all of her books but there was just like that one moment where i just had that very strong reaction and that's really just put a whole cloud over me i'm yeah. like peppa in, <laughs> I, in encanto i got a little rain cloud and it's yeah, of all my yeah. feelings um yeah. and it's just been it's just been so weird what's well, a bit of a testament to how special this initiative is i can't think of the last time or maybe even any time that i've cried over a star wars book you don't cry over nearly all your Star Wars books because like, um, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you remember me at the end of Victorious Price. You know, you're right. Actually, I, like, fell I, to I the floor. you cried at the end of Victorious Price. Don't deny it. I know. OK. In all honesty, though, I think it speaks to how much these characters mean to us that we do have mm. such visceral reactions to their endings. And it is not easy. It's not an easy pill to swallow. 
such as life, right? It's it's kind of like Yoda when he says, like, mourn them, do not, miss them, do not, you know, transform into the force they do. And, like, it's a tough thing to deal with death, whether it is in fiction or in real life. And it can bring out all sort of, like, very different raw emotions within us. And I will say this time and time again, like, fictional character deaths, you don't know what people go through in their life. It can have a really big impact on them. Like, you know, when Ben Solo died in The Rise of Skywalker, it sent me into like a little bit of a spiral. And that's because I really love that character and he meant a lot to me. So people just have such intense reactions with things sometimes. And that's totally okay. Like your reaction to the book, I think is totally valid. And I think like a lot of other people felt the same way, you know, like losing some of their favorite characters. So like all things are on the table here. It's, it's totally fine to feel however you do because um, these stories have meant a lot to us in the last year, and it's very special that we get to be a part of it. But you know, this is this is kind of at the bottom of the roller coaster. Like we said, we started at the top, and now we're at the at the the trough. Yeah, I mean, I I think for me, just to kind of explain the background of the feeling to listeners a little bit more, it's been a tough couple of years, and I don't think any single one of us would deny that. And I think I've just become very. You know, on the on the one on the one hand, it's like I'm very um, numb to all of the tragedy. On the other hand, I am so so sensitive to it all, and so for the level of tragedy to occur in this book, like it did, I just think it hit me um, really really close. And I mean, I've so turned away from that in my literature and even in the things that I watch, um, movies and TV, because I've just been striving for happy endings. You know, if I can't have yeah. a happy ending myself, then I want my characters to have happy endings. And that's why I've turned to romances, because, like, you know, it's going to turn out for well for those two two characters, you know? Um, so this just was struck me, I think, really deeply, like a, like a lightning bolt straight to my heart in a way that I just did not expect. Um, but if anyone felt similarly about this book, just, like, know that you're not alone and um, I'm right there with you. And if you also did not have that, you know, visceral emotional reaction, then, like, that's awesome as well. Uh, I'm glad that you didn't because it sucks. Like it's a sucky feeling to feeling feelings so strongly sometimes. Um, but but yeah, I think just um, I knew it was going to be a tragedy, but I just didn't expect this. So anyway, anyway, we'll get off of that thought process now. Nobody nobody needs to hear about my feelings. Blah blah blah. This is what my <laughs> therapist is for. <laughs> yeah, and what I what I will say too is like if you want an emotional therapy group please join our discord send us a dm on twitter if you would like to join <laughs> yeah, our discord honestly though <laughs> we have a high republic channel i think a lot of people have been talking about the fallen star in there um mm -hmm. you're able you're able to block out spoilers and stuff so a lot of people have been just kind of saying everything that's on their mind and um it's great so let us know if you'd like to join but i'd like to start to close out this conversation by talking about how this book stands up against the rest and for me i would say this probably ranks at the possibly the bottom of all the high republic books and that's still not like a dig to it i still think it is a really good like a really good book in certain parts um for me i think the biggest thing was just the scope right like light of the jedi kind of had this big intergalactic disaster that spanned many different planets you know many different political things happening you know you're on like naboo you're on coruscant you're all over the place like rising storm you're you're on valo you're uh, in the Jedi Council, you're kind of getting like all these different angles, like whether it is political. And even after like the attack on Valo happens, there's still like a whole subset of the story after that, right? Mm -hmm. And then in this book, it, I, I've seen a lot of people say this. It's kind of like, you know, you're in a hallway, you're in a hangar, you're in like a meeting room. 
and I didn't really, I felt that sense of claustrophobia. I, I wanted more of an expansive story, especially to kick out phase one. I, I thought we would get like much bigger. Like I want to see what the Jedi council's up to. I want to see what Lena. So, and the politicians are up to like, right. Is, is Lena. So leading a Senate meeting with all the different politicians saying like, we got to do something. Right. So I was kind of missing the politics of the high Republic, which I've loved. And you know, once the great, I almost called it the great disaster. It is a great disaster, right? We started with one and we end with one. Mm-hmm. Once the starlight beacon crashes, the book ends. Yeah. And mm-hmm. That wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting we're going to get something like the rising storm where there's like kind of more to it and more afterwards to kind of let that sink in for us, but also get more of the story. So it's a bit abrupt in a way. And so I just wanted more from the story. I wanted more from all different angles. I wanted more from Avar. This kind of felt like a book where I'm like, oh, I got to get Avar's perspective by reading the comic. But I think that should still be a part of the book because she's such an integral character. I don't think you should have to read the comics to understand what's happening in the top half of the station, right? So yes. um, those are those are probably my biggest complaints. But overall, I think a lot of growth happens with all of the characters in this book. I think there are so many acts of heroism in this, especially from Belle and Buryaga and especially Stellan. Like Stellan is definitely like he saved millions of lives. Incredible, yeah. right? So. He has such a beautiful ending, even though it is an ending. It's kind of like Luke, right? Like peace and purpose in a way. So, mm-hmm. um, so again, like good and bad with the book, but overall, I'm glad I was a part of the journey, even though it was a tough, a tough one to get through. So, yeah. Where, where do you for, where do you place this book? For me, I also agree with you that it it does feel a little narrow in the scope. I was hoping for more from you know Martian Rowe. He kind of just sits on the sidelines on this book, which makes sense yeah. because we're watching his plan unfold. But I wish we had gotten a little bit more beforehand or or afterwards. Um, you know, we get the epilogue and that's great. So I was wishing for a little bit more beforehand to set that all up. Um, and yeah, it does feel like we're kind of very stuck in the lower half of the Starlight Beacon, which again really works for the claustrophobia, but is a departure from the galactic scale that we've expected in the first two novels. I also feel like this book was a kind of jumpy. It hopped from character to character often, even within chapters. And I often wanted to spend another 500 words in each of these perspectives. So that's, that's kind of my thing. So for me, it also kind of ranks lower on the list, which again, deeply surprising for me, because I think we both thought like this was a slam dunk. There's no way you know, like we know it's going down. Not that this is an easy task, but like this is like we know where we're going. This is doable. But the more I think about it, the more that I think that this is probably an impossible task to ask of any author or writer um, to encapsulate, you know, the top half and the politics. Like it's a huge scope, even bigger than The Rising Storm, which felt so big. Like I have no idea how Kevin did that. So I don't know. It's not my favorite. Um, we knew it was going down, but it didn't felt like we got enough time with everybody. I think you have said multiple times off air that the book could have been 100, 150 pages longer and we would have been just as engaged. Yeah. Um, and, and so I feel that as well. Yeah, because the, the Rising Storm was another 80 pages and uh, Light of the Jedi, I believe, was another 40 to 50 pages than this. And that's a, that's a big difference. Like even, even another 40 pages could be huge right there were some moments like especially with the leveler i would have expected more of a a shocking horrific reaction from some of the people like stellan for instance learning that that thing is a board like the thing that killed Loden. and i i feel like it's kind of glossed over like his his realization of that i'm like 
but like, isn't that the thing that Stellan feared? Like he finally felt fear again from that thing. And so like, shouldn't he feel that here? And I, I don't think I like quite got that right when he found out about the husks happening. Yeah. And so it's moments like that where you said, I want another 500 words right then and there to get inside his mind and feel the fear and feel the sweat on his palms and, and the shaking in his legs. I want all of that. I want the emotions of the character. And I, I don't feel like that came through as much as I would like, would have liked it to in certain parts. Um, but still as a reader, I felt the dread and I felt the the panic setting in for myself because I, I knew what was coming. Yeah. And I do have to say, like, I think a lot of the dread and the fear is actually coming from the reader. And the way that the rising storm ended was such a shock to the system. We were like, <laughs> what the fuck? Um, that, you know, we knew the leveler was involved. We knew the Starlight Beacon was going down. And I think the book relied on us already having feelings about that um, in order to push its story along. But again, I do wish we had gotten a little bit more time with everybody um, just to kind of play in that headspace more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, do you have any other thoughts before we get deep into the characters of this book i have a couple and if you will just bear for me one second yeah somebody tweeted let's 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 get their handle here their handle is at kofi outlaw it's k-o-f-i outlaw and they said light of the jedi the rising storm the fallen stars are these book titles also references to avar elzar and stellan respectively what did you think when you read that tweet and after i sent it to you because i was like (laughs) oh my god I was like, how did we not notice that <laughs> first thing, right? Like we sit it here tracks. and talk about these books for two to three hours and we're like, we haven't, we haven't talked about that yet. But like, that is the, the parallel device that's happening <laughs> with all these titles. Like, come on. The other thing I want to touch on is that, and we're probably not going to talk about it too much, like within our character discussion. So I wanted to mention up up top that the asides, like the moments in parentheses throughout this book are so good. I was immediately like, yes, I love you. They add so much like little character to this story and they bring a sense of levity that in like the ra- most random of times. And I can't wait to talk about a couple of those moments throughout our character discussion. But like, yeah, they were good. They were good. Um, and then my other thought was like, they really took a lot of time to talk about this sense of dread and you could kind of feel it. And it was really interesting for the Jedi to explain what they were feeling like this opacity of the force that indira mentions you know the way that they're talking about how the force is gone uh was really creepy within the the levelers like point of view so i thought that was uh really interesting and probably not going to talk about that specifically throughout the our character discussion but i just felt like it needed to be mentioned because it was very curious and um i think well done to describe all the ways that nobody was feeling the force yeah, I, that was the one thing I actually shocked me the most was the absence of the force or the the dulling of it. I I, yeah. I I I think it's interesting how the leveler is able to do that, and I loved how Elzar was one of those characters that had cut himself off from the force, so he seems almost invulnerable to it. But then when he did start to tap back into it, he felt it immediately. He was like, "Ah, oh, this is what people are talking about, right?" And he gets yeah. he gets close a couple times to the leveler at one point when he's going to- towards the thrusters uh through the radiation like he almost he almost gets uh husked he, he's pretty close yeah. we almost yeah, lost our boy I, you know there's a couple moments where folks get close to being husked yeah. and i was like uh i'm alarmed yeah so i was a little worried about 
about Elzar because he started to feel the heavy limbs setting in, which you know, once you start feeling those heavy limbs and the world starts melting around you, it is you're, too late. And, and literally late. all you can think about is your fear. You're like, oh, yeah. no, that's bad. Yeah. I got to ask you, when you knew that those containers were aboard the Starlight Beacon and they said like Rathtars, you're like, nah, it's a leveler. Did you know right away? Because like I knew right away that as soon as their senses were down, I was like, that that thing's in there. Uh, no i didn't know right away i mean no i just kind of assumed that the leveler was going to be there that i didn't put like the wrath tars and the leveler thing together don't worry about it don't worry about it i'm just <laughs> stupid i'm just stupid because there are wrath tars on the book yeah uh, I, I was think shocked I was by more, that i think i was more focused on the fact that there were wrath tars and like that was then than that being the measure by which the leveler was released like yeah. i was completely focused on the wrong thing in that moment yeah but anyway raftars uh it just it just felt like everything that could go wrong did go wrong in this book i was just like every every time i thought like oh maybe the nile aren't so smart i'm like nope they they literally thought of everything here like they really went the extra mile but what i what i did love though and we'll get more into this in the like when we talk about the vessel crew is like some of the ordinary people who are aboard the Starlight Beacon play such a pivotal role and like kind of thinking mm. outside the box. And again, we'll get into more specifics, but I liked that too, that it wasn't just up to the Jedi to save the day. It was up to everybody, um, the ordinary folks who were there just to take refuge, right? So that was probably one of those moments of heroism where I was like, yeah, this is some good Star Wars. Like, you know, everyday people, the the good-hearted engineer, the good-hearted pilot, they're all coming together to come up with a plan. And I think that's what I, uh, one of the aspects I love the most, but I think we should start to get into the characters. But before we do that, Sarah, uh, we're going to yeah. have a candlelight vigil, uh, for the fallen and, uh, we're going to play some music. Okay. Thank you. Editor who does this. It's me. I, I wonder Anyways, who it is. Yeah. <laughs> who could it be? But, uh, we're going to read it. Uh, like we're at a high school graduation. Uh, we're going to list off all the names, and uh, I'm going to ask that you, Sarah, uh, read also the things that we put in parentheses, which are in our Google Doc, because we write fun notes in here, and I just thought we should include them, because, you know, life's short. Why not? So, all right. First up, Regold Cole. Orla Tereni. Estala Maru. Nib Asik. Rip Rathtar. <laughs> or two or three. <laughs> or two or three. Buryaga. Agaburi, but maybe not. Who knows? Kama. Wookie King. Coley Lynn. Died like a punk. <laughs> the Nile Spies. LOL, fuck y'all. Die fuckos. <laughs> I can't believe you wrote that. <laughs> I didn't write that. Chansey Yarrow. Stellan Geos. My happiness. Seriously, I need my therapist. RIP Starlight Beacon. Slash all hope in the galaxy although i did say up front there's still hope there's always hope in star wars yeah but you're the one who wrote that i know i, I did write that i take it back <laughs> anyway um pour one out hit your f key light a candle put the <laughs> flashlight on your phone because that was a rough go yeah that was rough i who were you most upset about let's just let's just do a rapid fire uh orla hands down I, I thought her being the only way seeker of the higher public, I was just not expecting that. I thought she brought something different to uh, the force and the order. Mm. So I thought she'd be around a much, a much longer time, but uh, I was very shocked by that. I wish we had more of her. Um, again, wish we had more of her perspective throughout this book, knowing she was a goner, uh, being such a key character, but 
Um, it's okay. And she's on the cover. Should I, so I should have known that she was going to be a goner. Uh, most of the people on the cover die. So yeah. How do you feel that more people on the cover are dead than alive? You know, we've, we've talked about this, uh, cover that before. Was so like, you know, Loden was on the cover of the first book and he's a goner. Uh, yep. so, you know, yep. what about you? Which, what, which death shocked you the most? Estala Maru. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it as soon as he died. I was like, he, she is so screwed. Like she. So let me explain. Oof. Like we get this one moment where it's like, where Elzar is like, oh my gosh, all the people on the top, Estala Maru. And I was like, that's no, I was like, that's just his perception of what happened up top. And then you switch to Avar's point of view for like two seconds. And she's like, oh no, everybody, Astala Maru. And I was like, no, I was like, no, no. Because <laughs> if you, if you're a patron, if you listen to our patron comics episodes, I was just like, I don't know who he is. I don't know too much about him, but I love Astala Maru. Like would die for him. Incredible character. I yeah. just took a, a liking to him very quickly and I was really upset about it. And as much as I'm upset about uh, Stella Geos and Shanti Yarrow and Buriaga, obviously, and Orla, oh my God, Stella Maru hit me really hard. <laughs> I was shocked. I was upset. Yeah. No, it's a tough one. It's a tough pill to swallow. So lo- lots of death in this book, but um, RIP to all you goats out there. You uh, made a huge contribution. And um, I do love to, by the way, uh, towards the end of the book, when they're lifting the the thing up for the people on Arium and Elzar's thinking about all the people that uh, died. And he's like, you know, you're all with me currently. Like you're, help- you're helping me, right? So I think that was kind of a beautiful send off towards the end where he uh, recognizes that uh, they're not gone. They've just transformed in a way. So, um, except those Rathars, they're gone. They're floating through space somewhere, ice frozen. So, the Rathars honestly didn't deserve that, and it's uh, not their fault that they crave human flesh. Maybe the Rathars are just misunderstood. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Let's start with the man of the hour, Stellingios. 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 You did it. <laughs> you died. Sarah, Sarah is giving a salute as I am right now. Salute, sir. I miss Stellan Geos already. Yeah. It so seems logical that one of the three died at the end of phase one, right? It seems like it's going to be a huge catalyst of, of a behavioral change and purpose for the other two characters, right? You kind of need that push a little bit. You need, you need yeah. Elzar to be like, I got to reevaluate my life actually now because I lost my brother. And then Avar, you know, we know that she had more of, had more of an intimacy with Elzar, but still, like they are still so all intimate together as friends. So this is going to be huge for her because they really butted heads in the comics uh, over mm-hmm. petty things. Stellan realizes, yeah, and um, it's kind of tragic the way that the uh, the Nile tore them apart as 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 friends. Um, and actually, on page three hundred one, this is when Stellan decides to go fix the positional thrusters with Elzar. Um, he thinks about the fact that Elzar would only listen to Avar, and he says, "The third star in their constellation, the light in the night sky that Stellan had turned from, all because of disagreement about tactics, one that now seems short-sighted, even petty. How could they have let the Nile destroyers of so much damage their friendship too? That Stellan now saw was the greatest error either of them have ever made." He recognizes the he recognizes the the mistake in turning Avar away, and I think Avar is going to have to deal with that now into the future with uh, the death of Stellan. But yeah, it's a, it's a tragic death. But did you feel it was coming? Did you feel like this makes sense for these characters? Yeah, I texted you. I want to say like a hundred, hundred and ten pages into this book, and I was like, 
yeah, so there's a thing that I think is going to happen, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want you to react one way or the other. And I'd also be embarrassed if it doesn't happen, if I say it out loud, but I, I really, really think it's going to happen. And I don't want it to. Yeah. And it was Stellan going down with the ship. The moment I recognized that he was the like acting marshal of Starlight Beacon, I was like, oh, yes. Captain goes down with his ship. R.I.P. My my boy, my guy, you know. Um, so I guessed it. It was still really upsetting. I think it was earned in a way. And I think Claudia did a really good job of writing motivation into his actions that that really did make it understandable and empathetic. Um, but boy, did it hurt. Um, because uh, uh, the moment, you know, the moment he shows up with Elzar. And he says, like, go ahead. I'll be right behind you. You're like, that never happens. Yeah. They're never right behind you. <laughs> oh, man. I just, I just it, was so it sad. It really is brutal. It really is brutal. But let's let's go back to the beginning and, like, where Stellan starts out. And I think the weight of leadership is definitely stressing him out. He just seems, like, not himself, right? He's, like, not sleeping. Even when he does, he's having these like horrible visions of all the people he loves around him, like dying, kind of like Elzar was. There's something obscuring his connection to the forest. He's quite not sure. He's just not good. Right. Yeah. And even when Elzar visits him, he's like, you know, he's slow. His voice is raspy. He looks ill AF. Like he's he's just an insomniac not at this point. Sleeping. <laughs> right. So and he also notices that he's not just hiding you know, the physical pain, the pains of leadership, but also the emotional distress of everything. Uh, what he saw at, at Grisal, we saw this in Trail of Shadows when uh, Scion suggests that maybe it's all a hallucination and he lashes out very, oh, very yeah. quickly, He's right? really upset. Yeah, so he is just not not doing good, right? The, galax- the, the weight of the galaxy is on his shoulders uh, and he's now the new Marshal of Starlight because technically Avar abandoned her post. And that's, that's, that's another thing, right? You know, he stole a position out from her and I think he feels a little bit of guilt and a little bit of remorse for that, you know, especially towards the end. Especially towards the end. Cause for a yeah. while there, he, he's like, he's like, suck it, Avar, you know? And that's, that's some of his negative emotions with the absence of the force showing up, which is so interesting to kind of see these characters with an absence of the force. They're, they're, they're guiding light. Um, so there's a moment where he talks to Avar and he, she's like operating in what capacity he's like as the marshal. And he said, saying it was every bit as fulfilling as it shouldn't have been. Oof. He felt some pride. He felt some anger. You know, he was upset with her and was like happy to be taking the spot from her because of the these these absurd choices she was making in his eye. And so it's really interesting um, to see him. I don't want to say let loose because it's not even something he's consciously doing, but to see him act in this way that he knows is not logical or rational for him. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sad because it's, it's so clear how heavily everything is weighing on him that these emotions would take to the forefront. Yeah. It seems like most of the people on starlight are kind of not themselves in a way and i wonder if that is because the force is not speaking to them in the same light like you said they don't they don't have that north star anymore yeah i would say that's definitely a reaction to the force not being present because you know we know who these characters are and we know who they are under stress as well but the absence of the force the absence of their their guiding principle i think has really 
cause them to break down in ways that they wouldn't have otherwise um, or that would have been prolonged otherwise. It's like a pandemic. It really kind of pushed us to to feel all the emotions that we kind of felt on a semi-often sort of basis, like be the only things that we felt, you know, you know. But um, I also think it's a product of them being in a really dire straits and like really needing to attempt to survive as this thing is going down. You know, we've talked about how this book felt a little bit claustrophobic. If it felt claustrophobic for us, I wonder how it felt claustrophobic for the characters because they're the ones that are stuck in space. Yeah. You know, um, can't be good for them to know that their things are happening that they can't explain and they're stuck in space. And, and speaking of pride too, when, when things start to really fall apart, Stellan asks himself if he's being punished for his pride. And it says here on page 132, quote, but was it his pride that created this falseness or had the Republic and the Jedi fashioned it, then draped the mantle over his shoulders? And this kind of follows some conversations with uh, Orla that we'll get into here just after this. But it's a really, I, I think this might be one of the best quotes in the book because Stella is recognizing that like maybe the Jedi Order and the Republic set him up for failure and like kind of used him in a way, right? They used him as this poster boy, somebody who he realizes towards the end of his time that never really made decisions on his own free will, kind of following what he thought the Force or the, the Order wanted and kind of seeing those two things interchangeably, whereas, you know, Orla thinks of those things as very separate, right? And so I think, I think he was set up for failure. I don't think it was his pride. I think it was just this thing that was fashioned by the needs of this, of this high Republic and, and what was needed from a leader to keep it intact. And he just happened to be the unlucky one who picked up Chancellor Lena So's body at the Republic fair and was in all the ads and, and was the poster boy and is now the starlight beacon marshal. Like he just really had it all going against him. It's a big question for him. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it must be difficult to be so handsome and True. so easy to, de to deify. Um, you know, we talk about making people be more than human or less than human in our minds. And I think everybody made Stellan out to be more than human, a superhuman, somebody who doesn't feel emotions, somebody who doesn't struggle, somebody who is handsome and is a poster boy for the Republic and follows all the rules and, you know, uh, is responsible 100% of the time. And in that way, yeah, he was set up to fail because, like, you know, we've been talking about Elzar, right? so deeply throughout this trilogy like elzar's affection for avar and elzar's embracing his own darkness in that one point in rising storm but we've completely neglected the emotional well-being of stellan because it's all just a little bit more deep set whereas elzar is very outwardly a pro like problematic like and not in like the he's a issue sort of a sense but like he has issues kind of um Stellan keeps it all a little bit more tampered. And so, yeah, of, of course, of course, he was set up to fail in this regard. Yeah. This leads into a conversation that he has with Orla about what sort of path that he's charted for himself, which, by the way, him and Orla have a history, I think. 
I don't know. I don't know what to pick up because Elzar's like, why did you put me with a Wayseeker? You must have a history with her. And yeah, Claudia Gray, what are you putting down? Yeah, Stellan's like, pick up. <laughs> Stellan's like, it's a long story. And, and then Elzar responds, a very good one. Which like, hmm. <laughs> What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? You know, it's it's like it's like you know in Qui Gon, it's like in in Master and Apprentice, where he's like, yeah, I once had a relationship with that person, and, right? And like Obi Wan's like, what? excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that. It feels like one of those moments where you're like, yeah, was that meant to be sexual <laughs> in nature? Yeah. Um, so, you know, whether or not that's what, uh, Miss Gray intended, I might read into it a little bit. I yeah. might, I, I might, I might, might a little I bit. am, where's I the, am. Where's the fic on AO3? But okay. Anyways. So Stellan, he, he feels <laughs> that the Jedi are meant to find meaning in the order, find meaning in one another. And it's difficult to say the course sometimes, which means they got to work harder and make sure their selfish desires don't form into attachments. And this is something that he, I think he taught into vernestra a little bit mm. um i think vernestra carries this sort of uh which by the way i don't know how vernestra is going to react to the oh death i just i just had that realization it's going to be brutal oh brutal. no no come on come on no no what <laughs> yeah it's gonna be bad why would but we anyways. do that to her why would we do that to her <laughs> i'm like upset stellan's talking to orla on page 76 and I'll have you take Orla's here. So he says, forgive me, Orla, but you've never found it easy to walk a line. No, I haven't. You've found it all too easy, though, ha- though haven't you? Stellan Geos, the brightest of the bright, the bravest of the brave, symbol of all that is good in the Jedi Order, youngest member of the Council in quite a while, and front and center of every publicity effort the Republic makes on our behalf. Don't misunderstand me. You look good in the spotlight, Stellan, but I know you well enough to realize how easy you are there. You've always had to be the golden child of the order. You never felt free to search or to fail. You've never had the luxury to chart your own path. Is that why you're threatened by the way seekers who do? Mic drop. She's just serving it to him. Like serving she the truth. Really, she really went for the throat. Yeah. And she's I, right. I, she's yeah, right. She's, she's really not wrong at all because I, this is something Stel- like Stellan doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know why he makes decisions. Relatable. That he, he really only follows like what the order and the force intend. And I don't think that's like a healthy way of living because he's not, he's not giving into like his, his most basic human functions in a way. Right. Like, and even like Vernestra, I think learns from him, but forms it into her own knowledge to say like, you can't have attachments. It's just about balance. And I think Stellan's one of those people that like doesn't allow himself any sort of attachments to anything. And he, he even talks about this too in the rising storm, like when he's doing those training sessions uh, with uh, the one reporter who's watching and he's talking to her in that conversation. And he says some of the same things like no attachments whatsoever, like can't have it. I'll be threatened. Like I won't do my duty if I have those. It's like, well, you have two best friends, don't you? Right. Right. And, and even he feels like, I think he, started to get away from that trio a little bit because he knew that mm. Elzar and Avar were connected in a way that he could never be or that he didn't want to be. And so that made him a little jealous. It made him kind of wish he could have it all. And it's really tragic that once Orla falls to the leveler, 
he thinks that maybe she was right. Mm-hmm. It sucks. You know, he wishes he could, he could go back and, and change what he, these are some of his last words to Orla. They're la- some of their last conversations, right? So there's a little bit of, of tragedy in that. And sometimes when we lose a loved one, um, and, and re- in reality, it's not always the way that we wish we could have, we could have said goodbye to them, right? Like maybe some things are yeah. left unsaid or maybe you get in a fight, right? It's like the classic Spider-Man, Peter Parker, stop lecturing me, you know, like Tobey Maguire says to him in the car. And then that's like some of the last words he says to uncle Ben and mm-hmm. uncle Ben gets shot. So it's, it's one of those classic scenarios in fiction where so much is left unsaid. Um, but it's the actions that Stellan takes hereafter that are kind of him telling Orla he can change. Uh, and and she is right, but he can adjust his life to what she says. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad that it takes Stellan so long to realize, but I think it's also her death and and the the dire situation that he's in that allows him to realize at the same time. You know, I don't think he would have realized in the same way if she hadn't died. Um, but she says, "You always need the council's a- council's approval, don't you, Stellan? You don't know who you are without it." Oof. And uh it it takes him this book and his sacrifice to realize who he actually is. And in a way it is exactly who the um council expected him to be, who everybody expected him to be, but he got to make the decision for himself and that's what, you know, made all the difference. Yeah, Stellan's story is a is a tragic one but also an inspiring one in a way. So it's a bittersweet end to his character, but I alluded to it earlier. I think he has the most like Luke and TLJ sort of sort of ending. Um, so speaking of Stellan, let's talk about Elzar man, his, his kind of other half in this book, because Elzar has such a, such a great journey and we'll, we'll kind of come back to Stellan's death and, and, and how it kind of intertwines with some of Elzar's actions mm-hmm. in this book mm-hmm. and, and how Elzar deals with it after the fact. But we start with Elzar in chapter two. I was very happy by the way, to get, elzar man pov like right away were you were you thrilled about yes. that that's so because... important to me i'm so weak i just need it like <laughs> like he's never on the covers of these books and i'm like oh man what if we don't get an elzar why, chapter in here why not why not <laughs> he's I too mean, hot he's on the he'll distract from of, everybody else that's true that's true but like we all know that selen geos of the three is the hottest like but he is on the cover of light of the jedi but he's kind of in the background like why wasn't he front and center in either one of these books um as as they say in the old meme america explain (laughs) which by the way uh we don't get a lot of visuals of elzar but if if you are an elzar fan like us go read star wars number 20 by charles soul because elzar man makes an appearance in there Uh, we talked all about it over on our patreon for quite a while so go check out that episode it's (laughs) up right now longer than we expected to (laughs) yeah we we really love elzar in this house but he is training on the oceanic planet of Lidalau, uh which by the way is like a water planet and it's swallowed up all the continents of this planet like a millennium ago and then like is this earth is this a sign of things to come as the oceans rise in our world who knows yikes he starts by talking about how he was once drawing upon the dark side for his strength um, but he, you know, he realized this was not a sustainable way of life for him. And um, he still believed in all those good lessons from Yoda. But ultimately, he felt like his fear and anger were unavoidable and like denying them would serve no purpose. But like over time, as he trained more with Orla, who we find out is his teacher. I love that, by the way. I love him with a way seeker. It seems like so appropriate. Mm-hmm. He realizes this is not the route he should go, because like once you start down the dark path, he says, like, you don't know. You can't know. 
Uh, and that's why you don't travel down that path at all. You don't know like where the line is drawn. You don't know where the path of no return is. And so that's why you can't even risk the dark side even slightly, because like once you start to give into those like selfish desires, it becomes almost addicting in a way. Right. And this is sort of a, a piece of device that Orly gives to him. She says the real danger lies in those emotions that seem positive at first, but take too great a hold over our minds and hearts. Give way to those feelings, embrace them. And before you know it, they've been twisted into something else far more damaging. It's actually the negative emotions that are easier to pinpoint and to name and to cut out of your life because the positive ones kind of lurk in the background and can be toxic and damaging. And we see that with Anakin, with Padme. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's his desire to, to save somebody that, that causes his issue. It's, you know, and for Elzar, it's really motivated by his affections for Avar, who he really can't stop thinking about. No. Boy needs a hobby. <laughs> um, <laughs> Control but, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even that, you know, that sort of attachment, especially within the Jedi Order, can lead to issues for him. Um, but he recognizes that his intensity of emotions, which he feels, you know, when he touches on the dark side, um, when with his feelings for uh, Avar, and when he desires affection <laughs> and rising storm, uh, <laughs> um, you know, like that can be good for him, but it also can be bad for him. And he, he really kind of, uh, has to resist the darkness in that way, but also understand the darkness's role in his life. Mm -hmm. And chapter two, Elzar says, how much of my confusion and anger is rooted in my feelings for Avar? Great question. How much energy do I waste trying to reconcile that which can never be reconciled? It wasn't the lack of answers that weighed on him. It was the refusal to even ask the questions, which, oh my God, have you ever had that moment in therapy where you're like, I really don't want to talk about this. Like, I don't want to talk about it at all. And it's not because I like don't want the answers. It's like, I literally don't want to confront the right. issue. Yeah. Uh, and like, I think that is incredibly um, relatable and also really upsetting to receive, like feel reflected back in your fiction. You're like, yeah, <laughs> like, I know I should talk about it. Like, I know I should talk about it. And like, of course, Elzar has to confront that a little bit. Yeah. And even in chapter seven, he says, perhaps one reason he found it so difficult to accept his own darkness as part of his life, no more, no less, came from his inability to believe that any darkness had ever found its way into Avar's soul. What what do you make of that? What do you make of that quote? It's such an interesting comment because as I was saying about Stellan, like it really solidifies the fact that Elzar almost deifies Avar. Mm. You know, he it's it's his perception of her that has overtaken the reality of her in a sense. You know yeah. when you love a celebrity and they become more than a person because you're just like so obsessed with them, you you think about the the details of their their private lives or whatever, you know, that you have no idea about, you know, because you'll never meet them, you don't know who they are. I mean, it's kind of like that, except they do have this relationship. You know, Elzar sees Avar as like the ideal person and he's willing to un understand that she's a person too with flaws and and um with the ability to hurt others and with the ability to to be unkind to herself, you know, all these things. So it's so interesting that he sees her in this way because it makes completely logical sense, but it also comes at the detriment to both him and to her. Yeah. It's like a mix of passion and lust. He's just, he knows Avar still has feelings for him, but he knows she'll never break her vow to the Jedi order. And maybe. so maybe <laughs> at least we know of, right. 
but he's just so infatuated with her. He mm-hmm. feels like maybe there's still a chance. So it's like him clinging on to that and him driving away the darkness within himself because he knows there's no darkness within Avar is a choice, right? It's because an unhealthy pursuit is what it is. It's a <laughs> he, choice. <laughs> he, he needs, he needs to, to turn away the darkness because he chooses the light as Qui-Gon says, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why he needs to turn away the darkness. And so I think once he gets to that point, whether it is in phase three and, and after all the deeds that he does in this book, and we'll get to that in just a second when he does succumb to the dark side remains to be seen. I, I'm curious as to if, or when he reaches that point, I, I worry that there's still a possibility he could become a tragic figure. And Avar is the last one standing of this trio. I really hope not. I want a happy I ending. Do not I do wish we- to see it. I want wedding bells. I want them to retire on Naboo, grow old, live in the house before Padme, and then the berries move in. Um, maybe they maybe they take up the real estate <laughs> from from the the Chris's and the and the man's. So uh, who knows? I would love that. I would love that. Maybe it's canon. Make it canon. Make it so, please. Yeah, yeah. I. It very well could go that way. Yeah. You know, Elzar very much seems to be the tortured chosen one in that regard. But I want better for him. Because I know, I think he can be better himself and I think he knows he can be better himself. Yeah. Anyway. 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 A couple of side notes on Elzar real quick before we talk about Stellan and Elzar together. I love the opening training scene on this oceanic planet. Kind of gave me some Octo vibes, like Elzar doing handstands in the water and Orla teaching him that you have to imagine you you imagine the force as an ocean elzar so don't try to resist the ocean because we can't control it try to partner with it and see if you're gonna you know know, choose if you want to keep fighting something uh that's too infinitely vast to be fought or are you going to actually study it and set sail right it's like as master kunpar said you have to see the part for the part and the hole for the hole and each part for the role it plays and like you you can't control what you can't control but you can understand you know the way that it works, it feels like Elzar is being taught the same sort of lesson with a much more fluid sort of mechanism or metaphor. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, right, the, the understanding of the force is still at its core the same thing for everybody else. It's just the context in which it exists is different for each Jedi, right? So perfectly said, perfectly said. It's interesting that <laughs> it's mentioned Padawans fooled around with each other, quote, on the sly, and masters pretended not to notice until it went too far, and then they took their pr- apprentices for a long-term mission far away. And I just think that's, like, <laughs> so funny, right? And, like, even when El- when Avar arrives in Chapter 14, like, the first thing Elzar thinks of is, like, her golden hair draped across his pillow, his right. eyes as bright as the jewel she wore in her headband, her fingers entwined with his, and he's like, like dude dude focus focus you gotta stop thinking about these padawan memories that you have with avar like so it was so long ago there people are dying elzar but also he's like my girl my girl i mean wouldn't wouldn't any any of us any of us you know i love him he's so chaotic he's so chaotic um I, i i do have to say it's very very funny that like it's it reminds me of like high school teachers like high school teachers know that like all those high school kids are a mess like an absolute mess and they're just like i guess i'll gossip about it in the staff lounge a little bit but like (laughs) you know like i can't believe you know xyz is doing you know whatever and then yeah 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 they don't bring it up unless it's really really a problem (laughs) but um 
Poor Elzar. Teens. Yeah. Sarah, anyway. what happens with Elzar later on page 319? This is, this is the bad place here. He sees some backs of some Nile people. They may or may not have been the prisoners that he was talking to earlier in the book. They may or may not be Nan and Chancey Yarrow. And Chancey Yarrow, you know, is a fucking engineer. Ah, Elzar. Was trying to help, actually. She's trying to save her skin. Trying to help everybody in that regard. And the dumbass slices her in half without a second thought. In fucking half. Elzar, what are you doing? I was literally so upset. Yeah. I hope you could hear me pounding on the, the armrests on my chair. So upset. I was upset. One, because I wanted Chansey to live. But two, like, because how dare he? You yeah. know? Yeah. This was the death that I was most upset about, I think. Because I felt like there was so much more story to tell with Chansey, which we haven't talked a lot about Chansey. But, you know, we do get some of her point of view throughout the story and how she thinks that, you know, she doesn't really believe in any higher power or leader. And she felt like it was a less disappointing way to live life. And she wishes Nan would do the same. And she kind of sees some of Nan in Sylvestri. So she's like, maybe if I can kind of bring Nan into my mentality, then I can try to like use those same tactics on Sylvestri and then like kind of bring her into the fold. And then I'll have my like two daughters and like we'll all vibe together. I could change both of them. I can change them. Right. So well, that, that seems to be her to, vibe. Like, reconcile with Chansey or reconcile with Sylvestri too. Yeah. And that gets like totally ripped from her makes me wonder if like nan and sylvester will have any sort of relationship in the future yeah i wonder um because i think it's kind of traumatic for nan as well um to see that happen and to see elzar like really fuck up yeah and and, and, like then elzar and then we hear that elzar leading to the death of his brother his best friend i just i love him but he's an absolute dumbass yeah he really is but he's our dumbass but this is this was really though like not a great death like i i I actually was upset about this and again just because i i feel like she had such a future in the high republic and i wanted to see some sort of reconciliation with her daughter see what we could get there because that was really fun and out of the shadows like we talked about how there's not a lot of mother-daughter relationships in star wars so like here we have another dead mother mother in star wars and yeah. like that's not great that's not fun no. um you know so i this is kind of one of those deaths that i that like sticks with me the wrong way like when i said earlier like do we have to kill that person i don't really agree with that this yeah. is probably the only death in the book that i was like eh, i don't know if this was necessary but you know it happens and we'll try to move forward and see how the story unravels uh you know i wonder if Sylvester is going to have ill feelings towards the jedi you know, so that that might be this might be the catalyst yeah. for that to for her maybe her to join the Nile inside with Nan, like you said. Maybe they have some some time together in future books. So, I uh, upsetting, upsetting, yeah, yeah. like yeah, it, mm, not great, not a not a fan, not a fan. No, no. <laughs> but you you hint, you just hinted at it, so this directly leads to the death of Stellan because. Now the thrusters are below their, you know, optimal level and the ship is crashing, right? If they, if they had a chance to fix these thrusters, they could orbit for a couple of days and all get rescued and all is well. But now we are heading for Aram and things are not looking good. I want to talk a little bit about their relationship with each other and some of the conversations they have and like 
ultimately their end, uh, the, the end of their friendship. And there is a conversation on page 243. It's about greatness and what it means to be the greatest. And Stellan's kind of saying that he's never really questions his life without the order. And Elzar's like, well, it's because you are the greatest. And Stellan says, quote, greatness can mean a lot of different things. I've always believed it meant duty, honor, selflessness. But how can you be selfless if you've never defined yourself? Because I never have, Elzar. I've lived as the Jedi exemplar poured myself into a mold shaped by others, take away my ability to use the force. And I find myself left as, as a man I hardly know. And Elzar's like, dude, you got to not question your existence right now. Like this is not the time. And someone's like, no, it's exactly the time because we need action. And I think this is the first time that Elzar says that he's really seen this sort of vulnerability from Stellan since they were Padawan. So it's kind of like the Stellan of old coming back to the forefront. And I think Stellan has had these walls up around him for so long that Elzar doesn't recognize many parts of him. So I think that's promising for Elzar to see. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's so short lived, you know, to see his brother really come back to the fold and really be who he truly was before the order, which is this great, still amazing person that Elzar became best friends with. It's sad, right? It's like, you finally get what you wanted. You, you got your friend back and then only to lose him right away yeah stellan says to elzar you've had the strength to walk your own path even if the path was crooked at times it was yours and yours alone you and avar you've always known who you were you've never let the order do your thinking for you you always shown that little bit brighter and you know this is in reference to the fact that oh my goodness elzar says you know if they were a constellation he would be the pole star so and Elzar, Elzar tells him, but you were our pole star, our guide. Don't you know that? And Stellan says, I'm glad you think so. Oof. This is, a, this is uh, one of, this is probably my favorite conversation in the book, right? Because I, I think we are, are seeing, because in, in Rising Storm, we only really got, we, we still got some of this great banter between the two of them, but the deep stuff was really when Elzar had screwed up. And this is like before Elzar screws up, right? So we're getting some really deep, brother the brother conversations happening here but what, what did you make of this conversation and like just the idea that these two heroes had such different paths you know elzar walked his own and then stella never really walked the one that he wanted to just the one that others wanted him to walk it just like hit me in like a very different way i know we talked before you know we started recording i was like i don't know what i have to say about this and like i know what i have to say about this now <laughs> Sorry to pull everything out of Star Wars, but like, I know what that feels like. Yeah. Because that feeling is exactly what happened to me when the pandemic hit. And I mean, exactly. And I mean, not necessarily like greatness or whatever, but like that idea of knowing who you are within a sense of the confines that have always been set out for you. Everybody believes you have this sort of path, that you are this sort of person. You're like, yes, I am this sort of person. And then everything gets ripped away from you. And you're like, I literally don't even know who I am anymore. Mm-hmm. I know that feeling. Like, I, I literally was about to graduate college when the pandemic hit. So, like, I don't know what it's like to be an adult without it. Um, and just hearing you read that quote... <sighs> Keep that sniffle in. <laughs> like, uh, really 
hit different. <laughs> as soon as you sniffle, as soon as you sniffle, I was like, I gotta edit that out. So I'm glad you told me. <laughs> <laughs> Let the people know. Let I'm them a wreck. know um, we sniffle but, here at Friends of the Force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a really, it's a really ugly sound. I'm so sorry, listeners. You just had to said that. Just had to hear that because I said <laughs> I had to keep it in. Um, but but that idea that Stellan is like you've always understood your own path you've been able to walk it and I just like maybe it's a bit of like sometimes it's oldest child syndrome you know <laughs> like um or maybe you know it's gifted and talented syndrome you know or who knows but um like I feel that and then when Stellan says I'm glad you think so it's so heartbreaking it's like he doesn't believe it himself. He doesn't believe it himself. No. And everybody else around him is like, you dummy. You dummy. You embodied everything that we wanted to be. And he's like, mm-hmm. no, it was you. It was you the entire time. And, but I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we can all feel that when, yeah. when it's like, it's like, but you have that trait that, 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 that I value so much. And that means mm-hmm. so much to me. And you're like, I, I don't have that trait. I don't have anything. Yeah. And I think we do that to ourselves. That's, that's, that's no self-sabotage. Um, yeah. We look to the people around us to say like, oh, they have that X factor, right? And like Stellan thinks that about Elzar. Elzar's like, no, dude, I look up to you. I don't have right? my shit it's, together, right? It's, <laughs> our brains, brains are mean. Brains yeah. are really mean. Yeah. And like, if they're mean to Elzar and Avar and Stellan, of course they're mean to us too. So this just like hit me on a really non star Wars level. Um, but I think that's the power of fantasy and the power of science fiction and the fact that they can express these sorts of emotions. I've talked about this before, but the fact that you can express these sort of emotions in this heightened dramatic sense, and they can also hit so close to home for a reader who's experiencing, you know, things in the real world. So yeah, Thank you for letting me get up on the soapbox. I have nothing of, of value to say within the realm of Star Wars, but thank you for letting me share my personal thoughts. <laughs> no, but I mean, what you said is a value because we relate to fictional stories through our own experiences. Um, our experiences paint our interpretation of these stories. So to see a piece of yourself in, in Stellan's story is special. That's awesome. I, I think we all can do that. And yeah, I think it is a case of self-sabotage and, it goes back to the rising storm and for the first time in his life, he felt fear, right? So it's w- what happens when you're on top of the world and you feel fear all of a sudden and yeah. you're like, you're like, shit, everything I've ever known is just like kind of completely out the window. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know who I am anymore because yeah. I was living by this order, living by the force. And now the force is telling me this guy can just turn into a husk and, and literally like dust away. What, what is that? Never seen that. W- what is my reality? so it's a bit of a crisis that he's facing and that's why we see him so just like he's just not himself Fernestra sees it and and um out of the shadows she's she goes to his office and she's like dude are you okay her, her old his old padawan is like dude you're not good yeah how do you cope with the unimaginable yeah and and uh, you know and like in the real world, I'm grateful that the people around me gave me the grace and the time, you know, even though they were also needing the grace and the time. But, you know, Stellan didn't receive the grace or the time because the order had to keep ticking. The Republic had to keep ticking. 
Um, and so he suffered in silence for a lot of that. Yeah. And again, they all fucking need therapy. <laughs> that's that's it. That's the end of the sentence. <laughs> well, it all it all culminates to this point when, as we said, Elzar makes a terrible decision and it ends up costing the life of Stellan because he stays behind with the Starlight Beacon. And a captain always goes down with his ship. Ugh, so ouch. You know, Stellan makes the decision to crash it in the ocean, saving millions of lives. Uh, even uh, J we haven't talked about JJ five one four five. By the way, we'll talk. I think in the odds and ends, but he's great. Um, but you know, he says. <laughs> I can't it believe fucking Elzar did that. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a he guy. Is, he is great, but like the Prankster. like fact that yeah. he's like, yeah, uh, yeah, no, and then and so then good. Elzar's like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But JJ says this will still kill twelve people, and someone's like, that's still too many, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's how much he cares about the cause, and it says here on page three thirty. This is the first time I've acted with no thought for the order. This is the first thing I've ever done only as myself, only because I knew it to be right. And then later on page 331, the station had cleared the shoreline. Lives had been saved. The last thing he'd ever do, he'd done right. Oh my God. If, if that doesn't bring you to tears, right? And the fact that Elzar says, I know who I am. If that doesn't bring you to tears, like, I don't know what, what can, because that, I think that's when I really like had to put the book down and take a moment because we were saying goodbye to this character, but it goes back to like Luke's ending in the last Jedi. It's like peace yeah. and purpose. Like, yes, Stellan's yeah. dying and it sucks for us as readers, but for him, this is the most important thing he's ever done in his entire life. It has so much purpose. It has so much meaning to him. So it feels fulfilling. It's not, he's not, he's not regretful. He's, he's not sad that he's dying. He feels like he's doing the right thing. And like, this is, this is what he was destined to do right place, right time to save millions of lives and to make that choice for himself. Nobody told him to do this. And you really, honestly, you couldn't ask for a better ending for this character. Honestly, like there, imagine how shitty it would have been if he just like died because the leveler was like, haha, blah, 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 level, <laughs> you know, like that would have sucked. Yeah. This is, yeah. this is, this is a perfect ending for this character. I really do think Claudia planted the seeds of this stuff like really well um, and for his motivations and also just like foreshadowing it. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't ask for a better death to die, to die a hero in the sense and, and to feel like he made a choice for himself. Um, the conscious choice to die alone um, yeah. and to because he could have just been down there with Elzar, you know, and they could have both died. But yeah. he he said, Elzar, you go ahead. I'll be right behind you. And uh, he gave he like he gave Elzar that second chance when Elzar didn't necessarily deserve it. And Elzar told him he killed Chansey too. He just told yeah, him like, he did the worst thing. You know, and he's still like, hey, get out of here. It's fine. You know, maybe it was a third chance or maybe a tenth <laughs> chance. Like, I think it's a third chance, but like Elzar is going to be pushing like 12 chances in phase three. Let's be honest. Honestly, if a cat is like, oh shit, I had sex again. I'm sorry, guys. If a cat has nine lives, <laughs> Elzar has 12. Like, um, but, but honestly, like he made the conscious, he made the conscious choice to give Elzar another chance because I think um, he knows who Elzar is to him. You know, and he knows who Elzar is to himself. And I and I think that he really he really knew that despite Elzar's mistakes, like Elzar's life has value and that like Elzar is more than his worst mistake. And like Yeah. 
Like that's the sort of redemptive story that like is so, so powerful within Star Wars. Like, yes, the death of Chancey Yarrow, legitimately deeply upsetting. And I, I am certain it was intending to be so, but like the fact that Elzar gets to try again and gets to fess up and gets to work through his pain and, you know, perhaps in the future atone directly. It's really powerful. It's really powerful. And, um, I think valuable to see. And like, I'm really sad. Stellan is dead. He was a good guy. He was a good one. Um, but, um, you know, he did everything to save his brother and to save the lives of others. And like, that's powerful. That's powerful. Okay. I'll shut up. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> let's go to let's go to uh the end of this book yeah which centers around elzar and, and avar and the aftermath okay so we find out that don't cry don't cry don't cry J- <laughs> jj survived ladies and gents he's alive oh stop he brings elzar present and uh, lo behold it's the the this 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 is when i started sobbing i was like god what a way to find out little a little tray slides out inside stellan's lightsaber he's like no he wouldn't have left it for me if no, he didn't know. Right? Yeah. I, and, and I think this is a moment where Claudia uses, uh, very uses this sort of, uh, pathos very effectively. Yeah. The striking imagery of it. And just like, Oh God, here, take your saber. Right. And so now Elzar has his saber and the Jedi go on to fix the desolation plant. We know Aram has been ravaged by a storm that took out its only source to fresh water and it was going to take a couple weeks to fix. And so the Jedi are still able to come together and fix it and save the people of this planet. And Elzar thinks you would be proud of this. Even without starlight, the Jedi have much to give to the galaxy. I will learn how to give the best of myself, how to strain the worst part of myself. My actions deprive the galaxy of one of its greatest Jedi. For the rest of my life, I will be trying to create some small fraction of goodness he still had to give. Damn. He knows what he did. He, he's going to just stop crying and I'm crying again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it sucks. But on the flip side of that, there's some positive here. And this is, this is a, another great banger from Claudia. It still matters that they came. Reference to the people in space. It will always matter. That unity, that compassion, that courage. This is what the Nile lack. We will not win by stooping to their level, but by rising so far above it that even Nile can't reach. Mm. That to me is so close in line with, you know, we're not going to win by fighting what we hate, but saving what we love, right? That is what the Jedi have and the Republic has. It's, you know, we, we joked about we are all the Republic, but look how many people showed up to watch this happen. And even though they couldn't really offer support, they were there. Yeah. And we get this final conversation between Avar and Elzar. Do you want to read it? Yeah, you start, as, you start as Avar. Stellan always saw the Force as a firmament, as brilliant and expansive as all the stars in the galaxy. He told me that he saw the three of us as a constellation, an incomplete one now. No, he's still with us as surely as the Force is with us. Stellan had become one with the Force after all, and when we think of him... We can always find him as long as we look to the sky. Our pole star still shines. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't expect to cry while reading it out loud. So that's that's the final oh line of the book. Our pole star still shines. The fallen star, pole star. The star is fallen. Oh, it's 
stop. But it shines. Oh. Nobody, nobody's ever really gone, Sarah. But it's it's this we can always find him as long as we look to the sky. Like that's some delicious, no one's ever really gone stuff. Like yeah. it's so good. It's so upsettingly good. And I know we were like, this is not our favorite book up top, but like when it shot when this book shines, it really shines. And like Claudia yeah. is so freaking good at moments like this that tear your heart out at the same time as giving you the, like the deepest sense of hope and resolution that you can possibly find. And like, I have to hand it to her. Like while yeah. this book and while I had this like very upset sort of feeling while reading it, that is delicious and thoughtful and meaningful. Yeah. And you can't deny that. You can't deny that. For all of our- I need to read this book like 10 more times despite not wanting to look at it ever again. <laughs> For all of our criticisms of the book, this is this is what we came to this book for, right? And to end on this note, um, there is hope still, yeah. right? I don't I don't think this book ends as like a well, we lost. I mean, we we did lose, but it doesn't end completely hopeless. And that's what you never want a Star Wars story to end with. You want to end with some hope still sustained, no matter what just happened. And and this is clearly saying, like, we will always have Stellan. And we will rise above what just happened. We will come back. Our pole star still guides us. And we'll find a way. And so even though now we have to wait a very long time to get, hopefully be the resolution of the story. I know that our characters, this is why I said this up front. I think this is the worst that they're going to see because this is the, mm. the most deadly blow to the Republic in, in like probably a century, honestly. Probably since whatever happens in phase two, possibly, right? Before the, before the, before the <laughs> rise to the top. I'm not allowing it to get worse. Absolutely not. <laughs> so there is hope. Star Wars is all about hope. And I yeah. think that's uh, embodied here between these two. And, you know, them holding hands, her head on his shoulder. I don't know if that it's happened, actually. I think I made it up. I don't know. But no, 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 it, that, that 100% happened. Okay. I was, wasn't sure if I was like headcanoning that at this point. Because you were I just, not headcanoning that. Okay, good, good, good. They were like, they were actually being quite touchy feely for two people who deny their affections to each other outwardly. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So for these two to be there at the very end, I think is special. And I'm excited to see how they progress into phase three. And if they become more of a focus, I would love to see more of Avar in the books, not just the comics. That's my only feedback for phase three. I agree. I think mm -hmm. we really, we really need some points of view from her because I don't, to be honest, I don't really feel like I understand her character too well. And I want to, cause she's so damn cool. Yeah. We, we get a lot of her in the comic and we get a little yeah. bit of her in light of the Jedi, but I, I want more. I want to understand her to the level. I understand Stellan and Elzar. It's still missing for me. And I don't yeah. know why she's not included more in the books but I'm hopeful that maybe she will be in phase three with the absence of Stellan. Yeah. I think this was a really powerful end and we get that hope despite the epilogue being, you know, all Marshy and Rose, you know, we get that, that true sense of hope despite his proclamation that the galaxy is his, you know? Um, and I think that's really, really valuable uh, for us as readers, as we progress into something that is not these characters for a while, like there is something to land on that is not like just pure, pain <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we've talked about the tragic figures of the fallen stars now let's turn to those acts of heroism that i mentioned earlier like who are the people that shine the brightest besides stellan and first person is bell zedifar bell zedifar 
and his friend. Burry. Like, okay. These two. I, I I think I mentioned it in our preview episode. I was like, I would love if Bell and Burry were like BFFs, totally bonding, oh. like Burry's an empath, and like I would love that. And we got it. <laughs> we got it. A tortured soul. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of them becoming BFFs? It's nice. Yeah. It's really nice. It's uh it's some good energy of these two people who are like kind and empathetic and have big hearts to to be together. Um I'm not happy what what happens. What happens <laughs> to them? But um they have a nice couple of moments in this book where they're really helping each other, being there for each other, coming up with plans together. They are heroes. They are heroes for sure. Yeah. I, I, I love how they sort of manage the medical tower. Yeah. And figuring out how to detach well, Bell figures out how to detach it from the Starlight Beacon, save a ton of lives on there. Um obviously Buryaga gets sucked out into space with the wrath tars because he's getting he's getting attacked by them although notably run out for Buryaga, notably for <laughs> he has a space suit on i think that's very on purpose because again he's not he's not gone i i swear to god he's coming back speaking to their friendship i think it is really uh, a companionship that is just so precious and despite everything that happens in this book i'm glad we got this right and there's a part where bell is sort of venting and uh, saying hey, he didn't really do anything for Loden and Buryaga says nothing back. And it says here, um, Bell's thinking, quote, instead, Buryaga whined thoughtfully and continued pacing slowly by Bell's side, simply remaining with him in his distress. This was more comforting than any words could have ever been. Mm. What do you think of that? I think that it's really powerful that Buryaga knows exactly the kind of person he needs to be to bell in that moment and you know some of us fail at that sometimes we probably all fail at that sometimes like being the friend your friend needs you to be yeah um nobody's nobody's perfect and i think we can all have that moment where we felt like we haven't been enough for that friend but also like the power of that moment when you are exactly what that friend is hoping for that family member is hoping for and um i think this is just like a really thoughtful moment for Buryaga, and we know he's an empath and what that's what makes him such a unique and and truly wonderful character and i think it's great yeah yeah there's something too about when somebody needs your help not necessarily offering up advice Mm-hmm. right because i think sometimes when people come to us with their problems we are so quick to try to give a solution to people's problems when really sometimes just want to be listened to right and so i think in this mm-hmm. moment when bell's saying it was more comforting than any words could have ever been i think all he's looking for is somebody that will like listen and kind of like yeah. not not along and just be there as a shoulder to lean on and i think that just speaks volumes to the types of help that people need right we don't always need the advice and guidance. Sometimes we just need a companion at our side, walking with us in the hallway, venting to them, and knowing that we have somebody with our best interests at heart. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that was just like a cool new way of like, you know, obviously Indira is going to give Belle the guidance that a master would to their apprentice, but Buryaga is somebody who's on the same level as Belle and can provide a companionship that Indira never could. It's, it's a friendship. It's uh yeah. it's a it's a it's like the new Stellan and and Elzar in a way, right? Like whoa, they're they're the whoa, future, right? Whoa. Yeah. Ouch. 
I know it's Ouch. a little soon, a little soon, but yeah. But there's something about Brotherhoods in Star Wars that just really gets to me. Speaking of which, Brotherhood, May 10th, Mike Chen, let's go. But that brings me to the point I wanted to make, where you said that like Bell and Briaga are on the same level and they're, they're friends. It's it's funny though because Briaga is probably a hundred years older than Bell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he might still be a teen, but he's also a hundred and fifteen year old teen. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Um, but there's a moment in the book where they are trying to figure out who, how to contact the the medical frigate that's outside of the the ship. That I think it's from Irium that comes like up to attempt to help them and they're like uh you can't dock but we we need to talk to you to figure out what's going on right. here because we can't talk to anybody and bell like in a moment here tells burry that he's brilliant and quote modestly burriaga admitted this was true <laughs> and it's like well yeah that's what happens when you have a hundred years on everybody else like yeah. i thought that was so funny and um i mean obviously like you don't you don't most people are not just born with that sort of emotional empathetic nature that's like so perfect for every person you know yeah, that he can yeah. mold himself for every everybody's needs uh that comes with time and learning it and as well as like you know the 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 born instinct and um yeah Briaga, yeah. king genius icon can't forget to neglect too that Buryaga loses his master in this book and, and, and no it, no well what if we just didn't talk about it we just didn't happen? talk about it yeah but this was a this is another point i think i just want to you know bring what up he again. didn't deserve he didn't deserve that i'm sorry i'm talking True. over you but i'm just oh, i'm fired up <laughs> this is another point in the book where i would have liked more perspective from Buryaga yeah. about like I, wa I want to feel more of the weight of losing some of these characters and i think some of the deaths i didn't really feel that stella and i really felt it i really felt the death and so it feels like Buryaga's reaction to Nib is kind of like glossed over very quickly. So yeah. I just, I hope maybe in the future we get more of his perspective. I know he's a Wookiee and he doesn't speak basic, but I still think there's an opportunity. And we've gotten some chapters with him in Light of the Jedi, I believe, and they worked. They worked really well. So I, I, I wish we would have gotten some of that here and maybe in the future we could. But I, I want to see how he's dealing with that um, because he's alive. And I think there is something to be said. <laughs> he is. And <laughs> I think there's something to be said about two Padawans who each lost their master in the exact same way. And that's why I think he's alive, because I think that's a really compelling story to have these two people who were friends before and now are going to be friends through like a shared trauma and mm. how they lean on each other now. So I'm excited to see how that'll work. And if they, you know, meditate together, it talks about how dual meditation is sometimes better um that's why like you know padawan and masters do it a lot together so i, well, I would love to worked see them for elzar and stellan in this book sad <laughs> sad <laughs> sad no i i'm sorry i talked over you again oh, we, but, we forgot um, to mention that though actually yeah they were meditating and elzar was teaching stellan you know the ways of the ocean and avar was singing her song to them through the forest so we we forgot to mention that but uh yeah no that's a great example actually we didn't mention it because we didn't want Sarah to cry more. True, true. So we'll, um, we'll move on from them again. <laughs> no, but uh, I was just thinking as you were talking about this that uh, it's like poetry. It rhymes. Does Belle not have a purpose uh, like Sabine Wren's mm. to find her friend? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Page 340. Um, uh, Bell says, we all assume that Master Loden was lost when really he was being held captive. 
if I had kept the faith, if I'd insisted on looking for him, we'd have spared him a great deal of suffering and we'd probably have saved his life. So I'm not giving up on anyone else like that ever again. That starts with Buryaga. Um, yeah, that is like an Ezra Sabine story. That's a good, that's a good observation there. Wow. Can I pose a question to you? Sure. Do you think that Bell will be the next notable way seeker in the High Republic? Mm. That's that's. I mean, we might get some in phase phase two, but like, do you think that in order to go find Briaga, he will um, reject the order in that way and, and kind of go on its own path for a time? I don't doubt it because El- Elzar kind of is hesitant towards Bell doing this at first. He's like, listen. I saw Buryaga. He didn't make it out. Didn't happen. And I think Bell is so insistent because, again, he thought the same of Loden. And look what happened to Loden. So I think Bell carries a lot of guilt with him. Mm-hmm. I think he, again, he has a, a renewed purpose in the wake of this terrible disaster. He's going to find his friend. And I think he's, he's looking for a little bit of self-redemption. Yeah. Not that he's done anything wrong. He hasn't. He it's doesn't not his need fault. it. No, it's not but, his fault at all, but he sees it as redemption for himself for something that he should have done before. And um, I respect that. I understand where he's coming from. Um, as an outsider looking in, we know it's not his fault. These aren't things that are in his control, but I respect it. I respect his, his drive to find Buryaga. And I think that's the thing I'm most excited for in the future of High Republic stories in this current timeline is seeing how that plays out between those two characters. And I also think that it's, um, while it is deeply upsetting to see Bell react in the way that he does about, you know, why he's going after Briaga, it's also totally understandable because Loden was kind of his everything, you know, like his father figure, like the, the, the one person that he had in his life. And, um, he could have not grieved all that time if he had been putting that feeling elsewhere. So while you're like, oh, buddy, it is, it is not your fault. You also fully understand where that comes from, and the weight of his grief is clearly so powerful. And it's it's a, uh, it's sad to see, but it you know, I'm glad that it's propelling him into action rather than inaction. Mm-hmm. You know, if if anything can be pulled from that, and hopefully, you know, Briaga is alive. He is. Uh, I'm just. And- I think we should just accept it here on the podcast. Um, unanimous vote. Um, from the from the but editorial board. The editorial board <laughs> from the editors. Uh, yeah, he's alive. They cannot just, be that cruel. They cannot. Uh, That's a whole new level. Like this book hurts. It's cruel. It's cruel. The death of Chansiaro is cruel. That part's cruel. But everything the else. The death of a Stalamaru, <laughs> cruel. All the right. death of Nibesik. Why did it need to happen? <laughs> Buryaga and Bell didn't deserve that. Yeah, they didn't. But let's talk about Loden for a second. And Bell is still thinking about Loden. Um, yeah, by the way, the thing I that's like Loden. kind of glossed over in this book, like, is Bell good? Like at the end of Rising Storm, we got the impression that like Bell he is, is not, not good. good. The leveler affected him, but we don't really get oh. an idea of like, did he have to go to like a, like a sort of like force therapy? Did the leveler take it out of him? Like we see it happen to Indira mm. here because she's sort of the side effect to Regal. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the things I'm I'm so questioning is like, did he? How did he rebound from that? Like, was he okay after Grizel? Like, what happened immediately following Grizel? Like, did they have to transport him to like a medical unit? 
Um, those are just some like side questions that aren't important to this conversation, but just something I was thinking about. You're saying, you know, like, well, I guess we're both thinking like, did he get therapy? Did he get help? And like, the answer to that is like, perhaps yes. But at the same time, like, we still have to keep living through tragedy. Yeah. You know, I think we've both felt that, you know, in maybe our personal lives or in the world around us over the past two years. Like, it's it's been objectively awful. And at the same time, we need to find some way to live our day-to-day lives in whatever way that we can. And I definitely think Belle was doing a bit of that mm-hmm. um, and trying to just get by. And so while he may seem a little bit better in this book you know he's kind of processing you know there's a moment um early on in the book where he says a jedi shouldn't feel too much grief for too long master loden had become the one with the force to grieve too long was to deny that descendant transcendent truth but to not grieve at all that was impossible bell didn't think loden greatstorm would have asked that of him he would have understood so like i think that bell has gotten a little bit of help worked through it a little bit but like he's also still trying to just get by every day yeah so. and he he speaks a little bit to like acceptance um i think at first he thought that it meant surrender but it says here quote that wasn't it at all acceptance was strength it was being able to carry the weight of what had been and what had not through all the many days months and years and decades to follow bell would bear this burden as long as he cherished the memory of living yeah. great storm uh, that meant he would bear it always that's on page 39 mm. Um, and later on too, you know, he's worried about losing Indira. This is like actually like right before she almost gets leveled. And she says, no Jedi can run away from risk, not even the risks to herself, nor the risk to others. Our great gift demands even greater courage. We face danger because we are capable of facing it when others are not. To put it simply, Belle, you must be willing to lose me if it is necessary to do what we, what we ought. I must be willing to lose you. We must be willing to sacrifice ourselves for each other for the greater good. That's on page 112. And I thought of uh, when she said our great gift demands even greater responsibility or greater courage. I was thinking of with great power comes great responsibility from from Spider-Man uh, with even greater responsibility, I think is the actual quote. Uh, Aunt May says it correctly in uh, No Way Home, but um, it's not correct in the old films. Anyways, anyways, it's not <laughs> a Spider-Man. Spider-Man quote. But while we're here mentioning other quotes, um, what is grief if not love persevering? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's exactly, I think what Belle is feeling despite them not considering it a sort of attachment like love. But uh, I mean, that's, that is, that is exactly what he's feeling. Like he's yeah. going to bear the weight of this always. It's because he loved master Loden and he like master Loden had such a deep impact in his life. And, and especially if you feel the guilt that you didn't do more, that'll stick with you. Yeah. And like by moving on, you're not doing a disservice to the person that you're remembering, right? You're just living, you're continuing to live your life because you can't live your whole life uh, wishing would have, could have, should have, right? It's you, you cherish it, like you said, and you move on and things yeah, happen, it's, um, but it's tough to deal with, to be clear. It's very tough to still yeah, deal with. A, an idea that I didn't fully understand till this pandemic hit. Again, everything comes back to the pandemic in my emotional distress. Um, clearly. It's just like the idea that grief doesn't go away. You build, you build your life around it. Um, and I also think Bella is attempting to do that. And like, that's what he's, that's what he's propelling himself to action with when it comes to Briaga. And I know you're like, Sarah, stop bringing up these real life pandemic nonsense. Nobody wants to hear about your pandemic (laughs) feelings, but like, 
<laughs> the reality is we're all going through pandemic feelings yeah, still. Yeah. Anyway, I'll shut up now. Just kidding. I have more to talk about. And that is one of my favorite groups of people of anybody in the entire high republic and that is the vessel crew yes affy hollow geode leox absolute icons they are a part of this book too can i just can i just point out before we get to talking about them the fact that we did not bring them up in our preview episode i think until you did in our like last things you want to say before we end the show how did we not be like oh Claudia is going to bring the, le- the, the vessel crew back. Like how were we that stupid? I don't know how we didn't think of it earlier. It's uh, they, I love how important they were because I, I, I said this earlier, they were sort of the ordinary everyday people who helped so much on the starlight beacon. I think at one point yeah. Leox uh, questions what the Jedi are telling him and saying like, are you guys sure about that? You know, like us in the outer rim, like we actually questions the thing that are told to us and 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 we we prove them scientifically. We we trial and error. You just kind of take everything at face value and for fact in the Jedi Order. So let's try this out. And it like works. I forget what exactly it is that he says it about, but the fact that Leox is able to change their mode of thinking a little bit and Affy helps and, and Geode helps, King of Men, a sex slash smelt icon. He's great. Love him. But they, I mean, they are so crucial to the game. survival of so many people on this, on the starlight, you know, like, especially Leox at the very end, opening the hangar doors and getting some, some ships out. Um, yeah. It was great yeah. to see them be involved. And I love Claudia continuing their story. We just mentioned, and by we, I do mean me in this instance, uh, what is grief if not love preserving, love persevering. And let's talk about love while we're at it. And the love that this crew has for each other. As much as we love them, they also love each other. And they are about to, you know, enact their plan um, and about to make some bold choices that might, you know, harm themselves or others. And Leox says, look at the bright side. We wanted to, those docking bay doors open, right? And Affy says, that's not funny. She glared at him before turning to her own harness not meant to be we might survive the debris cluster and then reach open space if not well at least we don't die alone appy's face gentled she spilled her seat around so she could touch geode with one hand leox's arm with the other leox gave her the best smile he could thinking of affy and geode dying was harder than facing his own likely demise that was love for you but he'd rather die with them than survive alone so let fate bring what it may talk about another beautiful emotional moment from claudia in this one that was love for you um that sentence just like comes out of nowhere in the best way Uh and um it's so clear to see how close this trio has become since the events of the rising storm yeah and um and uh, rather since the events pardon me since the events of into the dark yeah. before then um i just brought up rising storm because that was the middle but i guess that was not them you know um a great a great instance of found family yeah here they seem to be sort of the the beacon of hope too throughout the book a little bit mm. um the the kinship between each of them makes you feel like despite everything that's happening everything that's disastrous there is still some fun to be had in this book and friendship and love and uh, 
again, Bell and Buryaga embody that as well. But I think we're talking about these two groups because they are sort of the bright silver lining uh, within what is often just tragedy. It's hard to kind of find the light within it, within the darkness of this book. And I think if you look closely enough, you'll find those glimpses, right? And like page 266, Leox, he thinks, each individual was a small spark of the one great consciousness, the universe beholding itself. If you would do something to save your own life, he figured, you ought to be willing to do it to save another's. Mm. And so that just speaks to Leox's just, yeah, even though he seems kind of like a willy-nilly going with the flow and, and whatever, maybe appears lackadaisical on the surface, beneath it all, he is really somebody who is loyal and will do the right thing. And we'll look out for his uh, his crew, especially like I think he really holds Affy and, and Geode so closely to his his heart and he would do anything for them. I mean, the fact that he offers himself up to go outside and open the hangar bay doors, even though it might mean his life. And, you know, we think that he dies and gets sucked out into space. But, you know, he uses the goggles and the device that he won in the game of Sabacc to uh, land on the planet, which you and I shoot. Yeah, we won't, parachute. we won't Incredible. go on about it too much, but I think you and I can both agree that that is one of the deaths that it, it just felt like too much in the moment. Like there was just too much happening yeah. already and the fake out. Yeah. For me personally, uh, the fake out was not necessary. I wish I would have just had like Leox say, you know, I'm going to fly down there straight up. I'm just going to jump out the <laughs> jump out the hangar bays. I'll meet you down there somehow. And like, you know, them kind of hoping on the surface versus thinking he's dead. I think it was just like too much with Stellan and everything crashing, it was just, again, too much. So, uh, that was my, like, kind of one of my only other kind of death complaints, quote unquote, death complaints outside of a uh, chances. But, um, I think that, uh, Leox really showed heroics in that moment to open those doors and just the whole crew throughout the book thinking, uh, innovatively, creatively to solve these problems that they're presented with, I think was great. Yeah. Um, about the fake out like i think it was really well plotted and it ended up making a lot of sense once you saw him again you're like oh yeah obviously uh, it was too much in the moment for yeah. me a hundred percent because i remember texting you and i was like if leox dies in this book i am going to be capital u upset yeah so when that happened i was capital u upset and you were like keep reading and i was like i don't want to <laughs> um so like it wasn't a good time for me it was yeah. not a good couple of hours uh as i read this in the middle school where i once went to middle school where i was subbing um i should not have been reading this book in a public sort of setting no 13 year olds were about to make fun of me i swear to god um <laughs> but yeah like leox is such an interesting figure because like obviously he's the leader in a lot of ways but it's affie's ship and she's the captain and he holds her in such high esteem and uh in geode as well and i just i I think they're such a beautiful, beautiful trio and the willing, the willingness that he has to, to be there for his crew by sacrificing himself in a way or being willing to sacrifice himself is, is really sad and beautiful and all of these things at the same time, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Leox just seriously one of the goats, like in the entire High Republic, like what an incredible character that Claudia wrote. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we start to close out here, we wonder what's next for the current timeline. We know we're going back 150 years into uh, the High Republic. I imagine we're going to have to wait till phase three to see what's next for these specific characters, which that's a long wait. That's like another year, almost to two years potentially that we're going to have to wait until 
we're back with these characters unless maybe maybe halfway through phase two we go back to present day which is very possible maybe one of the waves kind of mm. transports us back to mm. present day um i doubt that it seems like phase two is entirely just in the past so yeah um i will be uh waiting anxiously to see what happens uh i i really <laughs> it's gonna be a long wait for sure but there's a couple things going on so martian Rowe has this very climactic epilogue where he says there's no hope in this part of the galaxy there's only despair there is only the nile the galaxy is mine and he finally reveals that he is the eye of the nile everybody's thought everybody has thought it was lorna d oh, yeah. and, we, and he's we, broadcasting this yeah yeah the audacity of this man to do that um like this yeah Oof. i hate him i hate him so much uh but also the way that he changes his phrasing from the galaxy is ours the galaxy is mine you're like Oof. Oh yeah, he's the one we should be scared of for sure. Yeah, Lorna yeah. D, we should also be scared of her. But Marcian Rowe, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's the guy. Lorna D, nowhere to be found. So I wonder where she we'll find her eventually. She's elusive, mysteriously absent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Marcian also has a new droid, K A R nine, also named Car Nine. Uh, has slits for eyes. It's huge. It looks ter. It seems terrifying from the description of it. So. It seems like, oh, he's like, I got the leveler, but what if I threw in a droid? And it's like, oh, come on, please. You've, you've done enough. Triple zero energy. Yeah. Knives for fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to kill some humans. Um, did you, uh, when you heard car nine, were you like canine? This droid is a dog. I thought of it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Cause got I that definitely impression. did. Yeah. While we're here talking about Martian Rowe. This man is like sitting on the sidelines for like 95% of this book. And who, who is there with him? But Giras Staros. Yeah. And, um, I was shooketh. Yeah. I was shooketh. I was like, this is where I wanted like more in the beginning to like set this up and all have this all be like really foreshadowed really clearly. Um, and I didn't feel like we got that a hundred percent, but like, Gira, girl, I mean, as as many of the fans that the Martian hoes would 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 agree with Gira's actions, I imagine. Yes. Um, girl, what? And then she's like, and then she's like, I thought you'd have other people to take care of this for you. <laughs> and I was like, you know, this could be read eight hundred different ways, and I'm choosing it to read it in this specific yeah. way. Um, it was a little shocking like, to see her playing both sides but like what does that mean for avon what does that mean for the republic what does that mean for lena so are we all screwed I, I yes i said this to a couple people i'm like garisteros getting it on avon steros getting kidnapped that's not a spoiler that's in the excerpt by the way but i'm like where is her mother um, is it connected is it connected who knows who knows and we'll find out, I guess. I will say but it like, says here the relationship with Martian wasn't her primary motivator, just a pleasurable side benefit. Very, very pleasurable. That's I on just page can't believe Claudia wrote that. I can't. I can't even. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, this is definitely like I hesitate to say like the sexiest because it's not like particularly hot, but like this is like definitely like the most sex positive Star Wars has like ever been, or like even acknowledging of sex in the higher public, which is still quite jarring very I have, nice i have to say it's very weird can't complain <laughs> i'm not in like a bad way but i'm just like ah, you know disney owns you now right like 
you know and two it's and also too like at the same time having a lot more asexual representation as well so it's you're kind of getting the two things yeah. hand in hand you know with characters like These leox things- and vernestra and um that's great to see those two things side by side you know it's not just one or the other it's a mix it's for everybody beautifully yeah beautifully coexist yeah so we talked about Martian. Uh, we talked about Belle's purpose coming up. And, you know, I wonder if Indira is okay. Hopefully she makes a good recovery and uh, maybe she'll go in search of her Padawan. We're going to look for Elzar Redemption. And, and I hope to see more of the future books. Elzar Redemption. Elzar. Elzar Redemption. What did I say? One word. Elzar Redemption. You said Elzar Redemption. Ooh. That's two R's. Elzar Redemption. Elzar Redemption. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I hope to see Elzar and Avar more as a focus in future books. And I'll be excited to see uh, once Elzar opens up the confessional with avar uh what is she gonna think of this guy is is he a mess uh absolutely and Will she still kiss him <laughs> maybe yeah, let's hope let's hope and my last question is how does the republic respond we don't really get lena so in this book <laughs> which is a bummer because we love politics yeah. in star wars right 100 percent. but on page 331 she says we are all the republic and never more so than in this moment of shared tragedy she's thinking this by the way Sorrows could bind people even more closely together. The natural bloodlust for revenge that would follow. That could be shaped, tamed, turned into common purpose. That would be Chancellor So's task in the days to come. So I will be curious to see how much her leadership is tested. You know, if depending on what the time jump is with phase three, potentially. How does she unify the Republic after, you know, we're all the Republic and now it's like, oh, the Republic has been basically shot at its heart. Uh, yeah. how, how does she try to tame people's anger and their uh their want for revenge how does she how does she unify them in a time of crisis so that is going to be uh the true test of her leadership more so than the great disaster was in the uh in the books to come you know how we talked about how norwell quo would be like a potential adversary for her because he seemed really that's her assistant like he seemed really right. ambitious she like fires him in this book in like a really unceremonious way she's like get out and like the implication is like do not ever return i wonder if he will become sort sort of adversary to her in in that way if that will if that will come to pass Mm. in in the fact that he got fired by her maybe runs for chancellor or something of that sort in order to oppose her and to oppose the way that she held or way that she conducted the response to not only the great disaster but the Republic Fair and and now this. And while some may say, well, you were involved in that. You were her assistant. You were this. And she could he could be like, you know, I oppose these things at every turn. She ultimately was a chancellor making her own decisions. And I was just a lowly assistant. And and I mean, even in this, we he says like sorrow is a great motivator. So is fear. So is anger. And I feel like Norel Quo might try and challenge her response in a way that becomes politically divisive mm. yeah I, I i do hope the politics play a part in in future books because that that's some of the juiciest stuff to they've me. been good yeah they've been good in this this era for yeah. sure also the targons so. i miss them i miss them so much i mean they appeared but they do yeah you know, their, their appearance was brief yeah yeah here we are now we are, we are at we are at the end, or you could say the odds and ends, because we got one last oh. section here for you folks, and this is all the things that we didn't necessarily get to or talk about, but we feel are important or fun or quirky, whatever. It's our own thing, and the points don't matter here. So we are going to start with a whole section dedicated 
to our favorite geode moments. This is our first odds and ends item here. King. King. This was some of the best Geo that we've seen in the High Republic. The fact that he's meeting Elzar Man, and Elzar's like not sure if this is some like test from Orla when they're training. I'm he's like, like a joke. Yeah, he's like, am I supposed to like pay my respects to this ancient plinth? Am I supposed to bow? And then she's like, oh, you met our navigator. And he's like, um, uh, pleased to meet you. And he's like, oh my god, it's a thing looking back at me. What's happening? And it keeps getting closer to Elzar. And I, I love when they're in like the cockpit and they're flying and geo's actually navigating because like elzar gives him coordinates and the ship even though geode remains motionless the vessel like pivots and i'm just i thought that was so i laughed out loud when that happened because just the idea of of geode sitting there like motionless not moving and the ship was just turning i just think that's fucking hilarious that's just so funny how do people hate geode i i simply do not understand don't like, i don't like the geode humor is incredible yeah. literally all of the time yeah um and that brings us to uh joss and pika arden who were in i think some of the insider stuff and also maybe light of the jedi very briefly yeah uh, they were in the beginning yeah. with some of the great disaster stuff exactly yes 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 and they're back in this and you're like yeah. oh hello um but geode is flirting with pika arden and uh joss is like i don't know how i feel about that and he gets told he dates in species only which for most people i think is kind of narrow-minded but you have to admit for vintians it's kind of unavoidable (laughs) (laughs) are you kidding me oh my god this this like if claudia just for the rest of her career wanted to write like the adventures of geode like i wouldn't be upset and i would pay her top dollar to do it like yeah hats off brilliant stunning excellent amazing hilarious a couple pages later geode is sleeping and uh, i think it's leox that says vintians keep odd hours and affy's like he's in his bunk alone right <laughs> and leox says of course you know he only flirts around geode can't help it the ladies go for those strong silent types <laughs> 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 no humor is better than this humor comedians are striving to be geo yeah. like they are they're all just trying to be him and they can't like uh, also like more geode humor finding out they were about to crash geode had shut down completely saying nothing <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh um vintians not folks to uh embrace space travel preferring to remain settled on Vint. However, the few who took it up, like Geode, were in demand, largely because of their extreme sturdiness, which fell on the outer edge of what biological life forms were capable of. An hour or two in the void of space would do a Vintian no harm. What harmed them, however, was gravity. If Geode fell into Irium's atmosphere and then to its surface, he would die as surely as any human who plummeted from such a height. I'm, this is all in parentheses. This is like a complete aside. Like, this is just like a random little bit she wanted to insert in here. And like, stop. Stop. <laughs> and probably the most notable of all the Geode moments in this book is when he kills Coley Lynn. He takes a blaster bolt and it reflects back at Coley. Coley Lynn killed himself. But like, Coley Lynn, what did Geo do except be the rock, be a rock? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Geo's you know just saying? there minding you his own business, being magnetically sealed because Vintians can do that. So, Coley Lynn 
ultimately did that to himself, which is very unfortunate for Coley Lynn because it, it resulted in the loss of his life. Kind of an asshole. He was kind of an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that about him. I love um, the imagery, though, of, of Geode standing over him, quote, like a tombstone. Like a tombstone? Claudia. <laughs> come it's on, the, it's come the on. detail like, there. That's the funniest, this is the funniest thing I've ever said in my life, like, seen in my life. Because, like, <laughs> imagine, like, Geode just, like, inching over to the other side and just, like, standing over and him. And you hear, like, the, sal- the sad church bell sound effects. Some h- other hilarious descriptors on Geode before we move on. Geode's cold, hard stare. Geode, still deep in thought, said nothing. He knew when to let Affy talk through a problem. <laughs> Geode stood there, utterly still, utterly blank. And, G- and Leak says, come on, man, pull yourself together. Geode was too stricken to speak. Like, when <laughs> Geode doesn't say words. <laughs> okay, so I've got a couple, I got a couple of odds and ends that I wrote down that I'd like to get through. If you'll just bear with me for a couple minutes here. The, the first two, the first two are, you know, if you've listened to our other book reviews, you might know that I really care about Star Wars in-universe music genres. The Alphabet Squadron tri- trilogy was full of them. And I'm happy to report that we got a couple new ones here. The first is on page 47. It is the Margenje Glide. Okay. Uh, and it's a popular dance tune that has been popular for the past several decades that Leox chooses to play over the um, comms to annoy the Nile. King, we have to stand. The other one is um, a genre called Simjo. And there are a couple of characters in this book who enjoy the same Simjo band, which I think is excellent music, bringing people together. I also really like the, uh, oh, we also have the mention of Chandrillan Opera. So there are three music moments here, which is has sweeping dramatic melodies that at some point washed over Elzar like the waves on Let Allow. So it gives you a very evocative sort of emotion there. We have another one that is an aside that I really enjoyed. Oh, so um, good. This is so good. Burry had rapidly become a favorite of the Charhound, Ember, and vice versa. Maybe it was a first solidarity kind of thing. Like, I can't believe so that, that was something that was written on the page and kept on the page. Like, Love incredible. It. Love it. Hilarious. Um, another great moment here is from Orla and Regald, both dead as hell. Um, oof. Oof. <laughs> uh, and we get a small pastime of mine is learning the literary collective names of things, Orla said. You know, like a grove of Wookiees or a tinker of droids. Or a bulge of huts, Regal nodded. I admit, I always liked an illumination of Jedi. Well, the collective name for these guys is a remorse of Rathars. She gave him a <laughs> nod. They weren't given that name lightly. I just, come on. Like, that's like, that's some incredible, like, into the dark, nerdy, bookish yeah. nonsense that I absolutely adore. Um, I've got two more. And then we'll be out of here. Then Brad can do his list. Um something we kind of failed to talk about as its own topic with Stellan Geos is that we get another perspective of the force from him. And again, if you've listened to our book reviews, one thing we both really love is uh, interpretations of the force. We know that Avar's is like a song. We know that Elzar's is like an ocean, but I don't know if we knew that Stellan Geos's was like a firmament um, before this book. I don't think so. No. And you know, he, and I'll quote this from the book. Selen Geos was among those Jedi who perceived the Force as the entire firmament of stars in the sky. Points of brilliant um, light and energy 
seemingly distanced from one another by infinite absence and cold, but profoundly connected. Friends, families, tribes, organizations, each formed a different constellation, carving shape and meaning from the sky. Were not he, Avar Chris, and Elzar Man such a constellation? Stellan had always thought so, even in childhood. Rest in peace. Yeah, man. Beautiful, beautiful, sad, beautiful. And also another one from Elzar. We were talking about, uh, you know, we were talking about Geode flirting with people, but like Elzar, he's also kind of a flirt as we have learned from the past two books. Mm. Elzar with his pants around his ankles. True. Choices were made. You never okay? forget. But Elzar was flirting with Orla and we get this quote. He hadn't understood how much he'd been flirting with women lately until he'd met one who had no use for that whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> like he got, he got told without being, you know, told a word. Um, and I just think that was another great aside from, from Claudia. Excellent. Brilliant. I am done. I am shutting up. Go ahead, Brad. All right. So for me, this is on page 10, Regal Cole talking with Nan and Chansey. He says, so what is it with the storm terminology? You're all supposed to be one big storm, but each group breaks down in the tempests and strikes and clouds. How far does it go? Is one Nile on their own? I don't know. Slightly overcast. Dude, <laughs> dude, this is. The dad jokes. This is why the leveler targeted you first. Leveler hates dad jokes. Hates them. <laughs> hates them. It's really sad because like uh, Regal Cole was also like a preschool teacher essentially within the Jedi Order. I was like, you're going <laughs> to kill the preschool teacher first? Like, that's yeah. so cruel. <laughs> Page 94. Coley Lynn hated Leax Gyasi the way you'd hate someone who'd plunged a Mandalorian cow into your heart. Uh, I just want to mention this because it's the second mention of Mandalorians in the High Republic. The first being in Tempest Runner. Uh, when Lorna D actually wears a Mandalorian helmet. Oof. Still thinking about when Lorna D wore that helmet and her uh, voice modulator kicked in. Oof. Just thinking about it. Just thinking about it. I'm just thinking about a girl. If you made it this far on the podcast, you can listen to me thirst respectfully. Anyways, page 156. We didn't get his name. We didn't get his name. But. He didn't. But. But. This is the closest tangential mention of Kevin Tarr that we get in the book. Kevin Tarr didn't show up. I'm still bitter about it. Higher public team. Bring back Kevin Tar. We are begging for some Kevin Tar. Kevin Tar Nation is waiting. So we get a mention here because <laughs> JJ5145 is wheeling in a bunch of droids to create their own networking hub because the two parts of the stations are uh, the station are separated. So they have to create their own network. And it says, quote, but this was nothing like the hastily cobbled together droid lifeline that proves so essential in stemming the great hyperspace disaster fallout. Uh, that's in reference to when Kevin Tarr, king, icon, technological innovator, put together like tens of thousands of droids to pinpoint where the emergencies would be happening and lessen the casualties. So king, and I just love this little call out, uh, again, not named, but his methods are. Page 221, JJ5145, we are no longer in imminent danger of death by incineration. It is now 99.8% likely that we will instead die on impact with the planet surface this is excellent progress um this feels like a niku kind of quote to me um oh, i love it yeah. so i would just love josh brenner to read this uh in niku voice if possible it's like niku plus k2so yeah yeah exactly niku uh niku energy but k2so stats yeah totally totally uh, we get the phrase seven hells of sith which i, I just want to note that phrase i love it 
And also my very last one here is the fact that on page 178 is mentioned that Branchy is attacked. And if you know anything about Branchy, it is the planet that appears in the Edge of Balance comics uh, that I, I'm wondering what happens to them. And I hope they're all safe because I can't I can't take another Wookiee Jedi uh, being a goner because there's a Wookiee Jedi in those comics. Nope. So please nope. protect yep. our Wookiee Jedi. They're precious. They're precious beans. Yeah, I I think we've done it. Like I think we've have we mentioned everything we wanted to say? We have. Sarah, what are your what are your final thoughts as you say goodbye to the fallen star and you say goodbye to the last novel, adult novel of of phase one of the High Republic? I want to say that I'm very grateful that we had this conversation. Thanks for believing in me to have it, despite <laughs> my reservations and feelings about the novel overall and, and like that, that cloud that hung over me. I'm grateful that I got to talk it through. And I, I you know, while I still feel quite strongly about this book as just like ouch um there's also just so many good claudia moments in this book without a doubt and i'm loved that we got the opportunity to talk about them here uh and you know maybe crying about it was a good thing so um i'm sad to say goodbye to these characters for a while but i'm also ready for a break um with them and and ready to enjoy something new and, and get to explore something new so while it's, I'm sad to see them go for a while, I'm also hopeful and, and really grateful for the opportunity to be able to explore. Yeah. Almost uh, exactly one year later since the release of Light of the Jedi, and here we are talking about the end of Phase 1. It's been a journey. It's been such a fun journey. Obviously, we have Mission to Disaster and Midnight Horizon next, but um, this feels sort of like the staple of uh, the higher public. You know, each of the adult novels are kind of the pinnacle event. Um, and yeah. I think it's 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 really special that we've made it this far and we are, are so passionate about this era and the fresh perspective that is brought into the uh, Star Wars franchise and the much needed one. And I'm excited to see what's ahead with all of the new talent and authors that are being involved. And I think it's just a really good time to be a Star Wars fan and a Star Wars publishing fan, uh, Star Wars publishing fans, book readers. We've always been winning. <laughs> I'd say like if yeah. you're not already on the bandwagon for which I think if you've gotten three hours in this episode, you're probably a book reader and you hopefully like listening to this podcast, but books are where it's at. shocked. Yeah. Who's torturing you to do this if you're not a book reader? I know. What what bet did you lose? <laughs> but it's it's been a it's been a really great ride. And um even though it all ended in tragedy for phase one, again, the hope uh, that is so uh, quintessential for Star Wars uh, to exist. Star Wars is not Star Wars without hope. Um, it's still there, right? And our pulsar still shines no matter what. So thank you for uh, thank you for the story, Claudia, and for the High Republic team for putting this initiative together. And here's to phase two. Next up on the list. Wow. Can't wait. All right. I think that brings us to the end. While we wait for phase two, Quest of the Jedi to launch in October of this year, You can find Sarah and I on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Goodreads. And if you want to see what Sarah is reading and keep up on all of her things related to books, she has an Instagram called Sarah's Puzzled Pages. If you enjoyed this High Republic book review as well, please leave us a rating wherever you're listening to the podcast and subscribe. That way, all of our episodes drop right into your podcast feed as soon as we release them because we got, again, two more book reviews coming up for Wave 3 and plenty of more episodes for Star Wars fans across like, you know, Book of Boba Fett and and um, some really special things that we have planned around the time of celebration. So stay tuned for more.
also, if you like books and, you, and Star Wars books in general, we are going to have plenty more to talk about this year between the Obi-Wan releases, Higher Public Wave 2, maybe another project we're maybe cooking up. We're thinking about it. I don't know if we're going to do it, but we're thinking about it. Um, so lots of good stuff there. And if you would like to see more episodes from us, including our Buy the Book series, we are where we are going through the Star Wars canon novelizations, uh, we have a Patreon where we post extra episodes and uh, patrons get little perks. And we are also just so grateful that any of you have the ability um, and the desire to support us financially. So thank you so much to our patrons, Amy, Anna, Brian, Cheryl, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Jesse, Jen, Knights of Ren, Huang, Levi, Lindsay, Lucy, Marie, Claire, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, Saber Bouquet, Sky Talkers, Travis, and T. Thank you for your continued support of us, uh, patrons, and also all of our listeners. We are so glad you sat through us, sat with us on this uh, extra long High Republic episode. Um, and we look forward to seeing you on another book review soon. Yeah, absolutely. So once again, as Sarah said, thank you all for listening this far into the episode. Thank you for your uh, continued support here at Friends of the Force. And until next time, may the Force be with you always.